passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. It is your double or nothing post show. I am John Pollock alongside Wei Ting coming at you on a late Sunday night. How are you, Wei? Late Sunday night, early Monday morning. You know, it's it's all the same. Yeah, I'm good. Bl- it blends together. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we are coming out of double or nothing, a very newsworthy show from uh, AEW as they presented their fourth rendition of double or nothing that they stated was the largest crowd to ever watch double or nothing. So mm-hmm. I think a given for most that this was going to outdo last year's show, which outdid the previous year's show, which outdid the previous year's show. This was the largest attended pay-per-view that they've done, right? Uh, pay-per-view? Believe so, yes. Not biggest attendance that they've ever mm-hmm. done, but biggest pay-per-view. They announced over 14 uh, for the show. The exact attendance was 14,459 was the number that they were promoting on television. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, not only was it the most watched double or nothing, at least live, I mean, most watched pay-per-view that they've done, or were they referring to orders online as well? I took it to mean people watching. They said largest to ever watch a double or nothing. How would they get those numbers right away? Well, I think they're doing an estimate based on, you know, digital buys. They would know that number immediately, but traditional pay-per-view buys they would not know i think they're going based off of uh pre-orders and uh i I guess advance orders that they are making a meaningful projection that they will be ahead of last year's show and maybe their digital buys were such that they could comfortably realize that listen we're going to do at least this amount on traditional pay-per-view and our digital number is enough that um they're confident and i don't think that like it would be stunning if this double or nothing did not do sizably above what last year's show did. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't find that to be some um, uh, stat that's going to blow you away. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be concise tonight. We are going to get to everything, but I think before we get into the show and we will be taking calls, uh, we will be joined by uh, Chris from LA who had a 
uh, a memorable spot on the show that we will get to that maybe people watching didn't even realize. Uh, I didn't realize. So, okay. I look forward to this. Yeah. I'll uh, save but, it. Okay. Please save it. Uh, but before you, you get to what you're about to get to, we will also be taking your super chats, of course. So, uh, first of all, I know a lot of people might be watching us for the first time after finding us uh, after Double or Nothing. We are a professional wrestling podcast network, and we do live shows here every single day, 1 p.m. Eastern, talking about all the news, except tomorrow, because we're going to be taking a break after tonight. So uh, subscribe to the channel, give us a like, leave a comment, all that good stuff. And if you want to support uh, the show, you can leave a super chat, and we'll answer a question right after this. Uh, or become a patron at postwrestlingcafe.com where double double plus patrons will have the chance to call in live uh, but all patrons will have access to all of our bonus shows all throughout the week as well yes and it is a new month uh, beginning uh, later this week so if you want to jump on board the post wrestling cafe it helps the the entire site run on a day-to-day basis so you're not only helping out the site uh, but multiple bonus shows per week including rewind away which we will be uh, dropping on tuesday with a review of an episode of The Office and an episode of Friends. I knew nothing about The Office. I have many questions for Way and Friends as well. It, they're they're MMA-related editions of both of those shows. They're not random editions of Friends or The Office. They're, pre- they're pretty random, but we, well, will, be, uh, we okay. will be reviewing those on Tuesday. Plus, Rewind to SmackDown Live every Friday night, exclusive for Post Wrestling Cafe members. So welcome if you are finding us for the first time. And if you last more than five minutes, then you know what? You're here for life. The biggest story this weekend concerned MJF and his status or lack thereof involving AEW. Uh, it had been reported on Saturday that he missed a scheduled uh, autograph and photo op appearance with fans at the AEW Fan Fest. And then Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful.com reporting later on Saturday that a flight had been booked for MJF leaving Las Vegas not the Nicolas Cage movie. This was real life, uh, but then did not get on said flight. It is unknown who booked the flight. And of course, if you tuned in today, he was on the pay-per-view in the opener. Uh, but throughout the day, it was very much in question um, from people following this story. Like what would happen with MJF? Uh, at one point, I guess AEW had unlisted the preview portion of the countdown involving MJF and Wardlow. And then it was... Uh, back, uh, back listed. So th- there was a lot going on. He was there. Uh, we will get into the outcome here. It was, I think the outcome people would have expected going in, uh, but also one that it certainly raises the, the questions of what is going to be the status of MJF after missing this event on Saturday. He has not commented on it. So we really don't know his perspective on any of this. And I think that's, um, a, a worthwhile, very worthwhile part of the story. Uh, but this is really going to be a uh, an indication of how Tony Khan is going to handle what I would have to say way would be the most public dispute he has had with, with a talent. Um, certainly, there's stuff that's going to happen behind the scenes, but this was an event he was advertised for. He did not appear for it on Saturday. And what is going to be the fallout of this? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when we say, when we say dispute, I mean... Cody, I would say, was a pretty big story, but there wasn't much of a dispute, I would say, at least not not something that took place so publicly. T- Tony was not tested in the sense of having to uh, potentially discipline um, right. a, a performer like Cody. I mean, that was a, a situation that, you know, ultimately the two sides walked away from one another and have been m- completely pleasant to one another back and forth. This mm-hmm. is an issue where um, it's going to say something if Tony feels that discipline is necessary and it will also say something to the locker room if he does not and 
we should also note that the media scrums are going on as we're doing this show. So news might trickle in as we are doing this show, um, because I cannot fathom Tony Khan not being um, predominantly addressing this story uh, throughout all of the questions being uh, lobbied his way. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, no, this is certainly um, an instance where I would say the highest profile star that he's had, um, um, you know, um, is engaging in some sort of uh, rebellious act and, because it's professional wrestling, um, and I think in this case, rightfully so, you know, there are a lot of questions about what exactly is truthful here, what exactly is, um, you know, maybe MJF himself, somebody who we know is really a mastermind. You know, let's be honest here when it comes to um, all facets of professional wrestling, how much of it is his manipulation? Um, but I mean, I, I, I trust a lot of the reporting out there that, that is that is completely factual. And what, what, what we do know is that he, you know, that flight was booked. It was, uh, it had his name on it. And, um, I do believe that these disputes are very real. So now what we have right now is sort of like AEW's version of the Naomi and Sasha Beck situation. Um, and obviously very different circumstances for both mm-hmm. of them. We can't really equate, but you know, what did they do have in common are, 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 are talents, you know, uh, rebelling against uh, orders and walking off of the job, um, you know, following an advertised event. Um, and in AEW's case, I think, you know, the reaction will be really interesting. Um, I, you know, when I first heard the news, it was kind of hard for me to, to believe this close to, to the event that we, we would get something like this. Uh, and I, I feel like ultimately, you know, I understand why somebody would be unhappy, but I also wouldn't understand how somebody could take that away from Wardlow, you know, if you're MJF, um, somebody who obviously I think, Probably likes Wardlow a whole lot, you know, to to do such a great job in, in building him. Um, and and all, this was the biggest night of his career, bar none. Yeah, yeah. Um, there there are games I, I think we we can expect talent to to have to play at this point, you know, to try to get what they want. Uh, we don't exactly know the status of what type of contract he he, he has or what he's looking for. Uh, but you I, know, I mean, he said publicly, like when his like the to bring everyone like uh, up to speed, like what he has disclosed. And this was all in the Ariel Hawani interview. His contract is up January 1st, 2024. Mm -hmm. And he told Ariel that it, he pretty much stated like it would take uh, an ungodly figure to be thrown his way for him not to test free agency. It seems like he is dead set on testing free agency, which is a year and a half away, which does raise the question. What is, what is the wants of an MJF now? Yeah. What does, like, what does he want? But it, so, so, I mean, that's one thing. So then you test free agency when your contract is up. What prompted him to not go to that, that meet and greet and to book a ticket to potentially leave? That's that to me is a major question in this. I don't think you can make any, any assumptions here. Like, what is it that he wants? It seems that he does, he is a no. He has no desire to to sign anything right now. If they come at him, uh, like he said, stated in the interview that he would be looking at like the biggest money that people are making in the industry. He's talking, you know, like Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar money, which I I don't think is is necessarily going to be uh, offered to him at, at this juncture. Uh, but that that's a major question. Like, what was uh, the purpose of this? You can look into it many different ways. I mean, he. He overtook everything this weekend. His contract is now front and center on every new site. It is not just this, um, you know, one of uh, dozens of stories that, that come and go. People are aware of this, but now it is front and center uh, of everything. 
Um, but I, I would be really interested to know what was the play that, you know, missing the Fan Fest event, I just think that is going to create, um, we're, we're going to see what Tony Khan's reaction is, but I can see that being um, a real heated uh, issue. The, mm-hmm. the fact that he went ahead and missed that event, which is somewhat funny because as I'm thinking about it is the idea that you would think, well, you really like cheated out these fans. And I mean, if AEW went out of their way to like either refund them or a make good, I would imagine some of these fans that had spent money to probably get insulted by MJF would also be just as happy that they get this takeaway of we had signed up for the meet and greet that MJF no showed and was the talk of the wrestling world for the entire weekend. I am sure there's part of that, that that fan base would not feel too cheated knowing they were part of this potentially got a refund for this and probably a bunch of other, um, you know, make goods of other autographs and photos at this fan fest that I'm sure AEW, I, I would hope went out of their way for these fans that were hoping to meet this guy. I mean, what does that say about the nature of professional wrestling where people would willingly pay money to have, first of all, a guy insult them? And what is there a bigger insult than not showing up at all for this meet and greet? You know, like maybe you, you, they really got their money's worth. They got a great experience. Um, so yeah, they're, they, you know, the, but, but all those if people. You, if you are the promotion, I think, I think you really want to make it clear when you promote something, you will deliver it. And this yeah. is as much, you know, we, we talk about the WWE's response on television being as much of a message to Sasha and Naomi as it is to the entire locker room. And Tony's in that position at uh-huh. this moment where, you know, we we are in not an unprecedented period, but of the last two decades, it's not been too often that talent have had any modicum of real leverage. Some mm-hmm. do, but it's a very, very small percentage that do. And very few that have ever had the ability to exercise it. And I think you're seeing that right now, that for a performer, you don't have many... You don't have much power, but what you do have is your physical presence, and now you have some that are at least trying to exert what leverage do I have, and and I think you, you can look at this as a potential case study in that. No doubt, yeah. Um, however, I feel there is a right way and a wrong way about going about these negotiations. So one that is considered professional and one that is considered unprofessional. Um, and you can argue in the context of professional wrestling, what exactly is professional here? You know, uh, when we're talking about contracts that are out there that um, are frankly unfair, you know, people that are contracted as um, what, what do they call them? Part time? What do they call them? Uh, what are these contracts? Independent contractors, Independent whatever. contractors. You know, like, I mean, that in itself is, is, is unfair. But do we want to, like, is it right in any field to, you know, be, to, to be signed up for a job and, and to, to not show up? I mean, under certain, um, I would say maybe, you know, um, uh, if you're really being treated poorly, then I, I, maybe, yeah. But in, in either this or the Sasha Naomi situation, I can hardly say, like, from what it sounds like, you know, the disputes are anything more than typical contract negotiation. Um, and I, I can't necessarily see in either case, whether it be with Vince, as we've seen, or with Tony Khan, that I think they want to give the impression that they're willing to be, you know, um, just basically strong armed by talent like this. Oh, I don't, I think at, at all costs, they will prevent that perception from growing. And that's why Tony Khan's responses will be very important. Uh, I think you look at MJF, here is someone that came to AEW at a time when, you know, his profile was a fraction of what it is now. He has greatly, like, this is the equivalent of, you know, you sign an Ultimate Fighter contract, and it's like, 
eight, like what Rich Frank, Rich Franklin was somebody that he didn't come off of Ultimate Fighter, but he signed this ridiculous like multi-fight deal. I think it was like eight fights or something. And suddenly this guy's middleweight champion and he's on the money that like it's just you sign one of these long-term contracts and you have greatly um, over-delivered what your contract says. But I mean, at, at the same time, you can come back and state, listen, you signed that and if you had not turned out to be that great, it's not like we would have come and negotiated your contract down. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it, it it's funny. With bands. It happens with like all forms of entertainment or, or other fields. Absolutely. It does yeah. happen. I, I will also say this, that if Warner media had that same attitude, like they, they looked at AEW three months in, they mm-hmm. tore up the contract and gave them a new deal, which if they had not gotten, it's a pretty scary thought of how AEW would have navigated the pandemic without Warner Media taking that step and ripping up a less advantageous deal and mm-hmm. giving them 175 million over four years. So they, they benefited from overperforming and a company that saw that value and gave them that stability. Certainly the room. I mean, I think there, there's fairness in, in terms of negotiation. If you're greatly exceeding, I think what you're being paid to, to accomplish. But I mean, do we know? I mean, the word, the word is that he, you know, MJF at some point did receive a contract extension and a raise. Now he's in a position where he's looking for more. And let's take that same example. If for one week AEW decided to not make their air date and TK, Tony Khan decided to withhold the show on a Wednesday. How would you expect Warner to respond to that? Yeah, listen, I I look at this and I I think there's a big hole not seeing like what MJF's reasoning was because I think the optics of it uh, don't like it, it just seems like a very odd power move to play. Um, missing this event on Saturday ultimately went through with the match. I think this is a much more significant deal if somehow yeah. he didn't appear on the pay per view. Uh, but nonetheless, there is damage there that. It, it, what happens? Do you have 18 months of we're going to just get through this? Can we have the faith that if we put him in a high profile program, that this isn't going to, isn't going to happen at another pay per view weekend after three mm-hmm. months of buildup? What, how is the, how are these next 18 months going to work? Or are we going to just cut bait on this or sideline someone? I mean, the options here, um, you're looking at these extreme options now coming out of this weekend unless they yeah. can reconcile things. And I think that you would have people in the locker room that would be very unhappy if this just comes out and it's water under the bridge instantly. It's a very complicated uh, situation for AEW to have to navigate. Very much so. And especially because it is professional wrestling and because it is professional wrestling and because it is the talent on the level of MJF who we know thinks very, very deeply and is able to <laughs> – perform the hell out of his character in and out of the ring we we have to play devil's advocate and think about hey like win or lose it if you're mjf in this situation you know is this a net positive for him he is hotter now after all of this he is a bigger name in this industry as a result of all of this than he was prior to all this happening so in the end he you know the buzz around him is that much bigger next time he shows up on AEW tv i mean you saw the result tonight biggest heel in the building so, I mean, was this just a big power play from him? And whether or not he was I think it up? really depends. If, if AEW just publicly steps away and you're MJF and you don't have someone trying to retain you, um, does that weaken your leverage with, with WWE that knows like there's one place for him to go? 
And you're saying if WWE will look poorly upon him? No, no, no. I'm saying if WWE, um, this guy wants to land a gigantic contract. And if Mm -hmm. AEW publicly takes themselves out of the running, is there that same uh, pressure of WWE to offer him, um, you know, they could offer him 60% of what they might have earmarked. Like we know that AEW has removed themselves from this bidding process. Uh, I'm still willing to bet he'd get pretty good money, you know, at this point. I, I think so too. I think WWE will snatch this guy up in a heartbeat once because of the optics, available. You know, and look at the Cody treatment. I mean, this is a message said to, to the wrestling world out there that, hey, we, the people can jump over here and we will treat them as stars. Uh, we'll put them on our posters and we'll put them on our, our, um, uh, advertisements. I, you know, at this point, I, I feel like it's more than enough proof that if an MJF were to cross over, they will treat him like a big deal. Yeah, so uh, we should get into the review of the show, but obviously that was a pretty much a shadow over this entire weekend and leading mm-hmm. into the show. I mean, MJF was front and center um, regarding all of the news. Uh, we started uh, back with the. Are buy-in. you ready? By, oh, by the I'm way, re- everybody, I'm ready for this okay. five hours show. Yes, the the war against their, their East Coast viewership. I I say this all the time. The the people in the UK, like that, is your fan base that you need to be thanking. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how you cultivate such a loyal following. Like I could not imagine following a product where the biggest shows are happening in the middle of the night. The regular TV shows are happening in the middle of the night. But like I would never in a million years think of like taking work off the next day so I could watch a wrestling pay-per-view. I would never get together with my friends at one in the morning to watch wrestling. I think it's amazing they have the loyalty and this is going across the board of mm-hmm. UFC, of WWE, of so many North American-based yeah. sports that if you want to follow it live, it is an unbelievable commitment. So you are not going to get any complaints out of me uh, that we are talking at 1 a.m. when for many, they were starting the pay-per-view at 1 a.m. their time. It, I mean, it could very much be that process of like, hey, like having to actively work to just you know consume this product. That I mean, I would say like for many years, I think Canadians were similar where we didn't get raw. And in order to watch even raw, we had to like find it either, you know, late at night or the next day or some other means. And we have some of the most loyal audience as well. So maybe you make it more challenging to get your shows. That's how you build a hardcore fan. Tony Schiavone and Excalibur opened up the buy-in and ran through the pay-per-view, including MJF and Wardlow. And there were a ton of problems with uh, people trying to access the pay-per-view on Bleacher Report. It was just, I was inundated just seeing all of these. Um, but I, I guess it was enough that Schiavone brought it up in the buy-in match, stating that it was now working. And that this just seemed like a disaster and I can understand the frustration. Um, something mm-hmm. that like they had bought the show and couldn't access it. So they've already spent the money. Uh, they can't go to, uh, an alternative, but man, it's, it's 2022 and this stuff has to be rectified. I feel this is just a recurring issue on Bleacher Report. It's something I think you might expect of like a startup, you know, like, or maybe like an ROH from 10 years ago. But I mean, we're talking about, you know, BR that's owned and operated by a pretty major company. And yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. Or does it say something about maybe the demand for the show? I'm sure it's a combination of both that this is, you know, a a high demand event. Like Bleacher Report doesn't do too many like uh, pay-per-view events. This is uh, one of them. And I'm sure that the volume was high for this. But man, you've got to go knowing... Go in knowing like, hey, if we have the the advanced digital buys that we know kind of projection wise, this is the range, 
you know, we did between 140 and 170,000 total last mm. time. Like, let's let's be prepared for this. The acclaimed come out and uh, Max says that they're spitting. He's spitting fire like the wizard Chris Jericho. And we just took turns with Austin and Colton Gunn yelling out the wrong pay-per-view names. Bowens gets it right. And let's hear it for the ass boys. So just working in everyone onto this show in some form or fashion. Relatively tame by Max Caster standards. It was, yeah, say. it wasn't really a rap of note. Hook and Danhausen versus Tony Nese and Mark Sterling with Taz on commentary. Sterling's out in a silver bodysuit with yellow trunks, undefeated in the court of law. A uh, crowd was super hot for Danhausen and for Hook uh, whenever he would get involved. Uh, nice allows uh, Danhausen to apply a headlock, and he's going to curse both him and Sterling. Sterling misses a leg drop and just screams. I thought Sterling was was pretty funny and entertaining in his role here, just playing like the manager who's out of his depth and just screwed against these guys. And at one point, uh, he knees pats Sterling and it turns into a legal tag. Sterling gets dumped on his neck by a hook overhead suplex points to Dan Housen, who comes in to stand on top of Sterling. And he, they win in five twenty five. simple fun match that the crowd uh, really got into the baby faces. Sterling was entertaining and we would see more of Sterling on the pay-per-view. I thought it was a fantastic opener. Honestly, I, I thought uh, it was a match that ex- exemplified how creative a fit Hook and Danhausen are in a team setting. Um, not just, of course, you know, for their, um, you know, off, uh, out of ring antics, but I think in ring two is where the real magic comes because I think they're one in a long line of maybe, you know, serious wrestler plus, you know, more of a comedic wrestler type of um, tandem, you know, a la uh, Booker T and Gold Dust or like an RK Bro or like an Enzo and Cass. And I think Danhausen is just about perfect as like your baby face in peril. And Hook ha- at this point, you know, he's developed a really great dominant in-ring type of act and to reframe that as the hot tag in a tag team as he's out to bail out his uh you know kind of dorky but lovable friend in in Danhausen I think is a great way to shape him and to add depth to his character so this was really great the pay-per-view opened with MJF and Wardlow and MJF walks out and there are chants of asshole uh during the match chance of he showed up and fuck you, MJF. And as he takes off his robe, he extends his arms to impersonate an airplane. Yeah. The audience. There you go. Yeah. Wardlow comes out of a holding cell and is escorted to the ring. And MJF just runs away as the bell rings. Lots of heat. Uh, a sunset flip by MJF is thwarted and he is lifted up for a powerbomb, but bites Wardlow. And it's all just trying to evade the powerbomb. MJF fakes a leg injury, and then goes into his trunks, pulls out the diamond ring, and Bryce Remsburg confiscates him. He's begging off. He offers to double Wardlow's pay. And then they shake hands. Wardlow smiles and hits him with the first of 10 power bombs. And he just milks these 10 for all they're worth. The straps come down as he hits the 10th and final one, winning the match in 735. And MJF is taken out on a stretcher in a net collar, they put the oxygen mask over not just his nose, but also his eyes, uh, just in case, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, and yeah. You need to see oxygen, too. Yeah. W- whatever you want to say, uh, MJF was all professional in this match and mm-hmm. just was the pinball for Wardlow for seven and a half minutes. Wardlow got an incredible reaction, and then it was the scene that you had um, 
theorized way. They put up the Wardlow is all elite graphic. This place went nuts. And what's going to be lost in this is I do believe this was one of the best programs AEW has put together from start yep. to finish. Mm-hmm. It had an uh, a great build. They stumbled upon what well, not even stumbled upon. I think a lot of it were these strategic elements that just built and built with Wardlow into this unbelievable baby face that culminated tonight. And you have got a just a giant star uh, coming out of this program. Follow up is key, uh, but you can certainly not argue that MJF did not do his part in this match. Uh, but the way this ended, uh, certainly, I think you would think at least he is disappearing for a while. And if this and it could be Oxygen quite a lot longer. Oxygen mask to the eyes, man. It's serious. Don't serious. It? Yes. <laughs> yes. His, his eyes are, are suffocating. Yeah. And so the story of this way is Wardlow got out of what he believed was an unfair contract and is uh, <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> and is free the irony lovely yes um like you said john i think what's very impressive about this is the fact that they told from beginning to end i mean in the span of two and a half years that really for this a wonderful story with a complete unknown in warlow that they took from you know pretty much ground zero to I mean, one of the biggest reactions of the evening here on a very stacked show. Um, so really just, I think, kudos to the entire company, but specifically, I think, to MJF, who I think very much was, you know, the orchestrator of this entire thing. I mean, I'm sure there were plenty of help backstage as well, but I mean, it took many of his incredible performances of his design, no doubt, to get us to this point. And to me, it's as much as I think like his respect for Wardlow as a friend, I'm sure, and a colleague, as much as I think his respect for his own work. I mean, this is one of, I would say, his masterpieces, this entire storyline. And to finally see an ending through it, I I, I expected it. Um, there are going to be people that I, I've, I've seen asking, was this always going to be, you know, as one-sided as it was, or was it something that they decided to change afterwards? I'm I'm pretty certain that this was always going to be booked like this. To me, it was like... I I don't think it's the type of match that you need MJF to go 50-50 in or even to get that much offense. You know, it should be him being a chicken shit running out of here. I mean, his whole game was to do everything he could to avoid being in this one-on-one situation with Wardlow. And now that he was there, there was no escaping. And 10 power bombs, I think, was incredibly satisfying. Something that I loved was like he hit that first power bomb Wardlow did. And he just like gave these wonderful pauses as if he was like waiting, you know, two and a half years for, for that feeling. And it was just, I thought it was a perfect way to end the story. Uh, one follow up from Sean Ross Sapp, who just wrote MJF claimed to us that he showed up shortly before his match left right after and has a lot to think about. And he says, I haven't been able to verify this with other people at the show or if this was planned, approved, suggested by AEW. So it sounds like he was in and out to do his job and that was it so yeah listen it could be construed many ways yes i'm i'm entertained like that that to me is is sort of the the end of it like i i, I don't doubt that in some way this will be turned into a storyline whether or not it is already right now um but i think it's kind of part of the fun of of modern professional wrestling next uh we go to uh tony Schiavone, uh they put up the graphic, the crowd chants, you deserve it for Wardlow. And then it's the Young Bucks against the Hardys with Caprice Coleman on commentary, uh, who was trained by the Hardys at Omega. So you have a connection. And then we had the Elvis inspired super kick party entrance for the Young Bucks. They came out in Elvis outfits with shaved sideburns and the match begins. And Jeff is 
frustrating Nick who goes to the floor as the Hardys do the Young Bucks pose and the poetry in motion by the Hardys misses Matt as he is hit by a Kamigiri from Nick Jackson. And Ross is comparing it to the Midnight and Rock and Roll Express as they get the heat on Jeff. Nick misses a whisper in the wind, so Jeff climbs and he's struggling with his boot on the turnbuckle. Uh, Jeff was a little like off at the beginning, but then things got got rolling with them. Nick misses a kick off the apron, nailing Brandon Cutler. And then we see Jeff come off the apron. There's a side effect by Hardy, by Matt Hardy to Matt Jackson. So all four are down on the floor. They hit a poetry in motion on Matt Jackson. And then we see a jawbreaker by Jeff leading to a swanton attempt where he misses. And it's the Jacksons with a twist of fate swanton combination as Jeff kicks out right at the end. And the crowd is Behind this, BTE trigger misses as the Bucks connect knees, and then they just unleash this barrage of super kicks on the Hardys. Rapid fire, and then they just nail them over and over again. Matt Hardy spits at them. More super kicks. Matt's got a bloody mouth, and they set up the the, ste- the steel steps that they turn onto the side. Jeff is placed on it, and it looked like they were going for an indie taker. Uh, that's avoided. Matt hits a BT bomb and Matt Jackson is placed on the steps where Jeff lands the swanton onto Matt Jackson on these steps. I mean, listen, it's been about like two or three weeks. You know, he was due for a, a death defying stunt. Yes. Ugh. Matt hits a twist of fate for a great near fall on Nick and then a second one spiking him. Jeff is tagged swanton pinning Nick Jackson in 19 minutes and 14 seconds and Jeff hightailed it through the crowd and disappeared. He did come back to get his arm raised, but I mean, it was just Jeff Hardy doing Jeff Hardy things, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. I thought it was a really good pro wrestling match. Um, even though we did get that big Jeff spot at the end, I think for the most part, it was not the type of match that relied on crazy stunts like their last encounter. It, it was a type of match that I thought made pretty effective use of, you know, just the Hardys very, great fundamental tag team wrestling abilities um did not necessarily rely on speed nor acrobatics just i think you know pretty good tag team psychology i thought at 20 minutes it was definitely a bit on the longer side but this early in the show um the crowd had more than enough energy for it so um yeah yeah i I think it's really hard when you're comparing it to the ladder match that they had and i can't help but think that they will revisit that at some point i don't Mm -hmm. think this is the last match that these two teams are going to have um but but it was it was a very nice match. Like once things got got going in this, like a very nice match that I think early the the crowd was really amped for. Mm-hmm. The acclaimed and the Gun Club. Um, we just get some videos of them in Las Vegas throughout the week, documenting everything. And Billy comes and they're all passed out in the hotel room. He takes a sheet off of Austin, his son, to give to his real son Max to keep him warm. Um, guess we had to find room for this this. I don't even think needed to be on TV, much less YouTube. Um, but here it was on on our pay-per-view that we are very much crunched for time. I do think they're an act that I think is, you know, gaining a lot of favor amongst the audience. They're, to me, already a babyface act. Look, look at the way they came out here. So I wasn't, like, displeased to see it. But, yeah, on a show that, you know, went four and a half hours, um, I guess five, if you're including the Oh, it went five, buy-in. yeah. Yeah, um, you can definitely argue whether or not it was necessary. Jade Cargill and Anna Jay for the TBS championship. Jade had an entrance coming out with the, the Vegas showgirls. Uh, the baddies are showing in the crowd. The first half of this match, I thought was just a mess. I thought they were just on 
totally different pages. There was this bizarre moment where Jade is climbing the turnbuckle and Anna Jay is in the corner, uh, like directly in front of her. And I think she's waiting for Anna Jay to come out of the corner, but doesn't. She hesitates, goes to climb again, sees Anna isn't moving. So she just gives up on it and just climbs back into the ring and they go back at it. Um, Anna Jay went for a blockbuster off of the top that did not look good. And then Jade is rammed into the post with her shoulder. Then Kiera Hogan and Red Velvet attack Anna Jay, which allows her to hit the two with a double DDT, but runs into a pump kick and the Jaded gets countered with a roll up. Mark Sterling runs down with the crutch, slides it past the referee. This poor ref who had to just pretend that he doesn't see Sterling, like literally send it to the, to the side. And it sets up a, a two count after Anna Jay uses the crutch into a side Russian leg sweep. Then John Silver comes out, laying out Mark Sterling with a brain buster. Jade hits the eye of the storm for a two count. And then the Jaded again gets countered into the Queen Slayer. She's rammed into the corner and Jay stops as she is climbing as Stokely Hathaway, the former Malcolm Bivens, makes his way down, and it leads to an avalanche version of Jaded, uh, who pins Anna Jay in 7 minutes and 28 seconds. I'll say the last few minutes, I think when they got into the Jaded counters, um, that that was the best part of the match. But the first half of this, I, I thought this, I, I did think this was the weakest match on the show. Um, but they, the, the final few minutes, they, they kind of got the rhythm going. Mm-hmm. I think anytime you have... You know, Jade Cargill on a pay-per-view that is as stacked with a roster whose, you know, probably average uh, member level of experience is like, you know, five years plus. Um, she's going to be um, probably a bit of an underdog when it comes to like, you know, having a, a quality of match that I think matches the standards. And Anna Jay is very much the same. Like, you know, we're talking about two very inexperienced people here compared to the rest. It was a big spot for the two of them. Um, Anna Jay just felt off near the beginning. And it, it was like the, the announcers were even speculating if she had like hurt herself on on something like it just seemed like she was almost like getting her bearings together during the the beginning of this. So I I didn't know what was going on. I felt like they were very ambitious with, I think, the time that they had. And I mean, obviously, you know, being on such a big stage, they probably wanted to try to have a match that rivaled, you know, um, Samoa Joe and Adam Cole. Um, And so I thought they tried a lot of various, um, maybe, you know, uh, more intricate um, uh, sequences that may or may not have kind of lived up to the standard. Um, They were ambitious. And I I think you could at least give some points for it. But sure, like, is should they have just gone for a more simple match? Should they have had this match at all on this pay-per-view? That is a question that I, th- I think is worth asking. Now, I think we see the debuts that took place here, and I think this was probably one of the major reasons why Tony Khan decided to put this match on. Also, because Jade Cargill is a long-term project for him that I think I'm sure he really wants to showcase. But more importantly, I mean, you know, to showcase um, Athena's debut and also Stokely Hathaway's, which yes. I thought it successfully did. Yeah, so you had Hathaway come down and then... As Anna Jay is outnumbered by the baddies, Chris Statlander comes to back her up, and that leads to the arrival of Athena, the fallen goddess. So we have a three-on-three scenario, and it would seem that uh, either this is the elimination of Sterling or they're going to do some kind of a, you know, Hathaway trying to get the uh, the contract from Sterling, uh, some follow-up with this. But I really love the idea of Hathaway paired with Cargill and... Um, 
and Athena comes in as well. It so. sort of is the, you know, fan casting that I think has, you know, been there for, for the longest time with Jade Cargill. Uh, Mark Sterling, honestly, you know, I think worked decently by the end, but never seemed to be a great fit, especially now that the baddies are, are around. Uh, and Stokely Hathaway is very, very much perfect. So I think Hathaway is going to have one promo, uh, into AEW and people's are just going to be stunned at like, yeah. How little he was doing, even with the diamond mine stuff. I just mm-hmm. think he was just such a great signing and didn't come anywhere near um, the potential that he has that I, I think will be very noticeable. This is the type of talent that I feel like AEW's roster is like, you know, 70 percent of their roster is like are like people that were poorly used in the WWE that that are now find find themselves a home in, in this company. So it, I, I was already a big fan of the baddies. And now having Hathaway, I think their their stock is just like increased that much more. And on the babyface side, now having, you know, Anna Jay with Chris Statlander and Athena. Uh, I'm very excited by too. You know, we we have a nice little kind of faction wars there. Uh, the question is, you know, how, are you going to have the promos on the level of a Stokely Hathaway on the babyface side? Maybe, maybe not. The next match was the House of Black against Pac, Penta, Oscuro, and Ray Phoenix. Uh, they came out. Uh, Penta had had his uh, his child with him for the entrance, and Pac is wearing a half Penta, half Phoenix Max as Excalibur compares him to Super Delphin. I'm sure Shabani mm-hmm. was like, I, I was going to say the same thing. That's amazing. Uh, House of Black, they're all in matching face paint as well. They and, look so cool. And dude, Man. this, I, I, mean, I, I love, I love this match. I love the look of everybody. Yeah. Like you watch this, it felt like a comic, um, yeah. with, with, with all the different characters that just like scream like merchandising as well. Yeah. I, and the match was just, I, I thought this match was terrific. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's just kind of talk about their looks a little bit more, okay? Like, I mean, uh, what is it? I think, uh, Malachi Black, you know, Brody King, they've always had some of the best treatments. I don't know if Buddy Murphy has always had the best looks between his, you know, uh, tattered, um, uh, uh, plastic shorts and, and just, you know, whatever he, he's going for with his hair. With this, like, painted face stuff and the mask coming out, man, I thought they look, they all looked so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough sometimes to pull off that, like, like Steve Macklin has done this in impact. And I think it's a weird look for him when he does the, like the, the face paint. Um, so it's, it's sometimes tough to pull off, but especially the group of them together. Mm-hmm. I thought it, it stood out in, in a great way. So, uh, I'm not going to go through everything here, but the six meet in the middle and this crowd goes nuts as they're all just, uh, brawling and, Pax hitting a poison Rana. Uh, King misses a cannonball in, into the corner. We get a series of Tope Con Heroes by Phoenix and Penta to the floor. And then a Tope Suicida by Phoenix uh, that Matthews has to adjust before catching to lift for a suplex. Fosbury flopped by Pack, and then Penta dives. Crowd's going nuts for all of this. They triple-team Phoenix, leading to Dante's Inferno, but the others are in to break the cover-up. Uh, Jim Ross, at this point, gives up on trying to call this as a tag match. It's just <laughs> everyone's in there. We're not doing any tags. Uh, Penta leaps over Phoenix on the edge of the apron to deliver a destroyer to Buddy Matthews. Phoenix follows with a double foot stomp off the top into Penta's draping DDT on King to the floor. And we see Malachi Black, who desperately needs a name for the back heel kick that he delivers to Penta. It's the Black Mass until they come up with something. I'm not calling it the back heel kick. Black Mass. Yeah. Why? Yes. What's wrong with that name? It's a one. Do they have? A They're not calling it, it that. They don't call it the Black Mass. Do they have a trademark on it? You think? 
black mass? I I wouldn't think so. But I mean, yeah. just come up with anything. Back heel kick does not sound all that uh, menacing. Phoenix comes off the rope it ropes into another back heel kick, and then Pack lays out Black and hits the Black Arrow, which is uh, stopped by Buddy Matthews. Pack with a springboard 450. Alex Abrahantis gets on the apron, and it leads to Pack kicking Malachi Black low and sets up for the Black Arrow when the lights go out. And Julia Hart, 20-year-old Julia Hart, appears in the ring, spitting the black mist into the eyes of Pac, leading to the back heel kick of death, <laughs> pinning Pac in 15 minutes and 32 seconds. I did not realize how many, uh, with, with black and Pac rhyming and black mist and black arrow, how difficult this was going to be to recap. But there I, you have it. I mean, if I didn't have enough respect for you already, John, the fact that you were able to recap this match... Uh, the way you did. Um, and I, I think you're going to have your work cut it for you a bit later on too, man. But you're doing, I mean, great job as always. I, I thought this match was so fun. I, yeah. I really enjoyed this. This was one of the, the better matches on the show for me. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I thought this was the type of match that was like absolutely the type of thing you should be saving for a pay-per-view. You know, you're throwing six world-class wrestlers in there in a, into a tag team setting. They all look amazing and you just let them perform to their fullest of their abilities with absolutely zero restrictions. This was that type of match. It was incredible. Um, so fast and just loaded with just a bit of everything. You know, if you're looking for, I suppose, body part holds and all that stuff, you have that later on. Um, this was not that type of match. I think there, there, there's room for a match like this. It, it was just explosive, precise and very fast. And I think this is exactly what that trios division should be. This style of match, just nonstop pacing that separates it from the rest. And you can have different styles. That's fine. But for this, this was the match people wanted and mm -hmm. they, they gave you an excellent version of it. Then we go to the Owen Hart Foundation uh, Cup Finals, back-to-back, uh, -back, starting with Adam Cole and Samoa Joe. Adam Cole's in this awesome pink and white gear uh, with, like, the black trim. Looked awesome. And they come out, and the Owen Trophy is there that they stated is going to be awarded but will not be defended. And they have brought in Mike Chioda to serve as the referee for this match. It's a really nice touch. And when the bell rang, the crowd is chanting Owen. It was a very cool moment. Uh, Joe is in control at the beginning until he runs into a super kick on the floor. And a lot of the match is based around the injured shoulder that Samoa Joe had. And Cole just throws him into the post multiple times and then is attacking it later in the match with super kicks. Joe would just fight. Joe was just great. And he showed this against Kyle O'Reilly where he just would gather enough strength to fight off Adam Cole, but his selling was tremendous here. Cole sets up the boom and Joe just nails this guy with a lariat and folds Cole in half as he comes down. Bobby Fish runs down, snapping Joe's arm and then Joe ducks the boom, applies the coquina clutch, but releases it as Bobby Fish gets back onto the apron and Cole just lands a series of super kicks to the shoulder and to the face before hitting the boom and just like that, he wins in 13 minutes and 16 seconds. I thought this was a really nice match. Um, I didn't think it got to the level of a great match. Agreed. Yeah. It felt like we were at least one kick out or two away from maybe 
getting to that level. Um, and so when the finish kind of came after the boom, I was a little bit surprised by it, especially considering how protected Joe has been since he's been in AEW, the fact that he's a champion and that Cole has taken losses before. Uh, I thought we would maybe, yeah, maybe hit that next register. Uh, I agree. I thought it was a very good match. I think very good psychology, um, from, for, for the Joel's shoulder. There was enough star power here to maintain the crowd's intention throughout, despite maybe the length and sort of the slower pace compared to, to the previous match. But I'm not so sure coming out of the show if this match was all that memorable to me. Um, good match. I think it, it wouldn't be on my short one. list of matches. I would be saying like, go out of your way to see it. We would not be making that list. I will say one thing I did like a lot about this is that, you know, we talked about the preview that, Jay Lethal could get involved or Sanjay mm. Dutt. To me, you advanced that story without having to do – you did the Bobby Fish run-in, which maybe this match could have done without. But instead of having them get involved, which you've already done, their damage to the shoulder cost this guy in the end. So you did advance this, and Joe has an even further reason to go after those guys because he went into this match less than 100%, and he was mm. he got enough by Kyle uh, beating him on Wednesday, but not enough to beat Cole on 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 Sunday. So I, I like the fact that we j- didn't go to the cliche of just Jay Lethal has to do a run-in and further attack the shoulder. He went in injured, and it builds that feud as well. I think it would have been pretty groan-inducing just in the body of the show anyway after the Julie Hart thing. I could have done without Bobby Fish. I didn't Fish. think he was really needed for this either. Um, yeah. I think the, the bad shoulder was almost enough of an out uh, for, for Joe. But good, not great on, is on this, a show. Is this yeah. the end of Joe, Joe and Cole? Or or because he's a champion, do we? I think Cole has that? to go for the title at some point. Um, yeah. Whenever that time is. Yeah, I, I would say like, this was a Joe's first loss. And I think it should be... You know, they, it should lead to a, a TV title match down the road. Uh, they also mentioned that Dr. Martha Hart will be here later to present the trophies. And Jim Ross noting that um, he, he was very moved. You could hear calling this and stating how much he thinks about Owen on a daily basis and cried meeting up with Martha earlier today at the show. Uh, and that takes us to Britt Baker and Ruby Soho in the other final. Rich Ward of Fozzie plays at Baker out to the ring. And then wouldn't you know it, rancid. Plays Ruby Soho. What a surprise. Yeah. Shocking. The guy who, who spoiled his own surprise, <laughs> Lars Fredrickson. Uh, Ruby there's, came out. There's teasing and then there's like basically telling everybody, Hey, we're going to play Ruby Soho out on a, like, which is essentially what he did on his podcast. On his own but, show. Like, like before Ruby Soho won his or semifinal match, but. You know what? It didn't take away from the moment any anymore because I, I thought this was great. The rancid performance was great. I, yeah. I thought really, really good. And Ruby came out. She had It's Time for a Change written on her jacket and chance for both as the match begins. And-, and, and let me just say, I thought the entrances were so great for the both of them. Yep. That I mean, they, by the time this match started, whatever negative sentiment there was for Soho coming off of the Statlander win on Friday, I thought was completely wiped away from everybody's minds. Like she, I, I she, took it even on on Friday that it was more just that crowd was really into Statlander, and it wasn't so much an anti Ruby Soho um, mm. re- reaction. Um, but Baker uh, is trying for the Pittsburgh Sunrise, and she gets hit with a superplex. She tells Ruby that these people don't give a shit about you. Baker stops no future, avoids a curb stomp, and then Soho lands with the senton, and Ruby gets dropped, and as she's coming off the turnbuckle, like, clips the turnbuckle coming down, leading to a curb stomp for a near fall. She puts on the glove, but Ruby is fighting off Lockjaw and gets on top of her for a a cover, hits no future, and then goes for the sharpshooter. 
And this was not a great version. This was not a great night for sharpshooters. I think everyone's respect for Brett um, grew even more tonight. Um, Did Punks be- not look – I thought Punks was okay. Uh, Punks was better than than this, but um, this, it was yeah. not a flawless sharp, sharpshooter. I, I will say I thought the, 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 um, the, the commentators were really good because they excused it with the rib injury. That's right. I mean, I think Excalibur is so good at that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can watch anything and explain it away. Um, so anyway, Ruby is like literally down on a knee with this uh, sharpshooter applied, pulls her to the middle. Uh, Baker eventually gets to the rope, and then there's a victory roll by Ruby that Baker just counters and covers her in 1451. And so, so the finish I took is at least a, a modified reference to WrestleMania 10. Right. Know? I mean, yeah. what? I mean, if you, if you look at that finish, it's almost like if, if Brett had been able to have a, mm-hmm. a counter, mm-hmm. um, for Owen's counter. But yeah, yeah, that, that's what I thought of too. Um, just like a, a different play off of it as well. So you get the, um, the, the first couple of, uh, the Owen Hart Foundation Cup, Adam Cole and Dr. Britt Baker win. Uh, a lot of people were thinking that Ruby Soho was going to win this, but they went with, uh, they went with Baker and Cole. They, they did, yeah. This was the first time in the show where I I feel like I, I personally noticed a dip in crowd energy for it. And, you know, we're, we were like solidly into like the second hour at, at this point. And maybe it was due to the placement of it on the show, uh, which required, you know, p- p- the, the, the participants to, to do better than, than if they were somewhere in the first hour. I do think it lulled and I, I would say way from, from, uh, from Adam Cole and Samoa Joe all the way up to Anarchy Rules, I thought this crowd. I mean, it's it's not like they <laughs> were si- in the arena. Or, sorry. Anarchy Rules would be a great name for it too. Yeah, yeah, that that could be it. Um, like that whole part. I think part of it because I was looking at it, it's like, dude, we still got like seven matches to go at the at this part, mm-hmm. and it was like, I think that's when it's settling in that it's like this is going to be a super long show because none of these matches are getting shortchanged. Um, and, and I think it 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 did affect the the crowd for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't think it was a great match, but I thought it was a match that was, you know, good enough for the setting and to get the outcome that you predicted, John, the, the couple winning the uh, Owen Hart cup here. Yeah. Baker, uh, Tony Schiavone is out to present the, uh, the trophy and Britt gives Tony a hug as Adam Cole walks out and then just swipes past Tony to kiss Britt. And both are wearing their Owen Hart shirts Martha Hart is brought out. Uh, she comes out with Tony Khan and she gives like this really nice speech thanking Chris Jericho, Tony Khan, the dark side of the ring producers, pro wrestling tease gets a shout out. Oj and Athena, who were somewhere in the, in the arena, her the sister, le- Vir- the legal teams, the legal teams. That's right. Her sister, Virginia, the committee at the Owen Hart Foundation and all of the fans for making this event possible. Uh, next year, she wants to see everyone wearing a hat just like mine. And she was wearing just, uh, something that you would, uh, like see at, I, I don't know, like, like a horse race or something. I don't know. <laughs> horse race. Yeah. In the 1920s, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Mar- Martha Hart seems so happy. Uh, yeah. to, just to be out there, it came across so genuine, and I, it, I, I thought this was like a really, really nice moment on the on the show. Agreed, and I think knowing how reluctant she's been to do any sort of public appearance on WWE TV, to 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 really do something in front of any professional wrestling audience, that to me was significant because it, I mean I don't think we'll ever, we may never at this point get an uh, an acceptance speech for Owen Hart 
on on such a large stage like the WWE Hall of Fame. So I thought this was about as close as we were going to get, at least so far. You know, and and it seemed like this wasn't just Martha Hart um giving trophies away. It was her speaking to the public for the first time about her husband's legacy. Yeah, I thought she was fantastic. Like honestly, I I, I thought I thought this was like one of the real like feel good moments uh on, on any kind of wrestling show in a long time and uh presents the the two custom made belts for Baker and Cole and that uh concluded the the segment and the Owen Hart Foundation Cup and they made clear like this will be sounds like a yearly thing. You know, very classy looking title, more square shaped in the Always, uh, you know, um, very impressive. I think the, the belt collection in, in AEW, I think they could have had somebody maybe help Martha with some of that, uh, hardware, you know, like her holding up the giant trophy on her own. It, Dude, I mean, it this, this cup TV. was gigantic yeah, that they had made. Like who has to, they better not have to travel to all the cities like the Andre trophy with this thing. That thing's huge. I'm guessing it's going to sit in their uh, kitchen or something. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Following that was Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page, and the debuting Page Van Zant against Sammy Guevara, Ty Conti, and Frankie Kazarian. Essentially telling the crowd, pick the person you hate the least. Yeah. Yes. I, and I guess Kazarian was that guy because the crowd just like, like they hated everybody here. Um, Page Van Zant was a total babyface, uh, but Sky and Page were heels. Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti were the ultimate heels, uh, coming out in like maleficent gear and just tonguing one another at, at the entrance. So, like, and they're the foils for Dan Lambert. I was like, <laughs> like, like I, I try my best to try and like figure out like where this is supposed to be going. And it, this was just like, what a mess. This is just like, oh, you, totally. You yeah. put so many ingredients into the, into the recipe that you've lost that you've lost the, the original intent. It's the thing is, I'll say, I thought they steered course really well in the middle there at some point. You know, when it, when it started, when they started to realize and run with the idea that nobody likes Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti, they ran with them as, as heels, which I thought was smart. And they had, um, they pivoted to having Scorpio Sky be a baby face. And then to all of a sudden, kind have of, Sky. but then he's like right back to a heel. So, in the so next that, segment. I mean, that was the problem, you know, like I thought, I thought the thread between like when Sky was facing Kaz and they were both baby faces and it looked like Sky was going to defect from uh, Ethan Page and Dan Lambert. It seemed like they were course correcting in a good way, but then they had Sky swerve us and he cut a heel promo again, joined back with Page and all of a sudden Kaz teamed up with like the two biggest heels in this entire thing. It, it, it was incredibly messy and I thought this was the end result. A pretty apathetic crowd. 
Yeah, uh, you've been given no reason as a television viewer to root for Paige Van Zandt, but she was totally mm-hmm. scripted as the like the the cheery baby face, like making her simply debut. because she was the opposition to you know Ty Conti and Sammy. I would say. Yeah. So anyway, um, Guevara and Conti are booed out of the building, making their entrance. Ethan beats on Guevara, screaming that I've waited for this. Uh, Sammy delivers a middle finger to Paige Van Zant, uh, allowing him and Ty to then double team Sky behind Aubrey Edwards' back. Conti delivers a cheap shot to Van Zant on the apron, and then Guevara swings Ty around in his arms to the floor, and Kaz is yelling at his tag partners. Paige Van Zant finally gets the tag as JR says she's going to be green, as they say. And she's just playing to the crowd. She hit her her handspring back elbow in the corner. Sammy stops a TKO to tie. And then Paige drills Sammy in the gut because she's a bare-knuckle fighter. And hits a swinging DDT to Sammy. Um, I, I would say for match number one, it was like she was hardly smooth. It felt like watching someone's first match. Mm-hmm. But she is an athlete. And I think that it's, you know, she was – if. I don't know what your standard is going to be, but it's like you, you've kind of got to have realistic expectations of how someone's going to look. Um, what is it, the standard? That's a good question at this point. I mean, is, I is, think it's is, pretty is, high, to be honest. Is Bad like, Bunny the standard? I mean, is Junior Dos Santos the standard? You know, like and that's all, all to say that I, I think like if this was 10 years ago and we saw Paige perform at this level, we'd be marveling at it. But now we've seen if Ronda's your comparison, and I'm not saying that's an unfair one because mm-hmm. she debuted in a giant setting in front of more people than this. Mm-hmm. Um, and look how she performed at that first WrestleMania she did. Um, if that's your standard of, and you're watching a show for great wrestling, um, then this certainly didn't meet that mark. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen enough like, you know, MMA to professional wrestling or just celebrity to professional wrestling crossovers at this point. Maybe Pat McAfee is a standard if we're, you know, like, you know, picking, picking the uh, upper echelon there. But yeah, like Paige, I thought came across as somebody who is an athlete in, uh, in, in a prior career that did, you know, maybe a few months of actual professional wrestling. Well, training. current career as well. It's not as though she's just dedicated to pro wrestling she's balancing both which i think is going to be very tough as well um ty hit page with what was described as what the hell was that by jim ross it was a spinning face buster onto the knee uh uh, the att folks surround sammy and ty and they call for kazarian but he bails on them then kazarian tags himself in slingshot cutter to sky ty is yelling at kazarian sammy then misses kazarian super kicking conti which did get a big reaction and then kazarian tosses sammy out ethan with a roundhouse kick and sky pins kazarian with the tko in 12 minutes and four seconds and Guevara and kazarian can now never challenge scorpio sky for the tnt title your your reward is that they're never going to do a tnt title match uh involving these these guys while sky is champion and then they just reclaim all the ufc belts i thought for sure this bmf thing was leading to mosvidal in some form or fashion but they just reclaim the belts and that seemed to be it I guess it tells you you're probably not getting Jorge Masvidal for some time. And if you are, I don't know if Sammy Guevara or, you know, I don't know if you want to get somebody like to me, he is somebody with some actual name value. And I don't know if you want to involve him with this mess of a situation that they've got going on. I don't know if you want to involve even Kaz and Sammy Guevara in this mess of a situation. So this seemed to be as much of a promise that they are done with it. At least I hope that they are. Uh, It was a merciful end to, I think, a very confusing mess. Uh, the feud was all over the place. And again, this was the end result. A crowd that was largely apathetic. There were moments here where, like, 
I feel like the, they were the, the the wrestlers were kind of testing the waters. You had Sammy Guevara, who I think in any other situation prior to this, um, him doing this, like you know, pausing to the crowd would have elicited a ton of booze. The crowd didn't even really seem to care about him, you know, in, in this moment. I um, I would have put this on TV. I didn't think yeah. this this even fit on, on the pay per view. I I have not been a fan of this this story of where where it's gone. It's impossible to follow, and this just this ate up a lot of time on a pay per view that didn't need it. Like this is. Um, this this is a cram pay per view, and th- this to me was um, uh, agreed unnecessary. It, it, to me, it, I, I think I think it's it, it's a program and and you know at least match on the pay per view that I feel like kind of hurt Sky, hurt Kaz, and I think even took away some of the nuclear heat that Sammy and Ty were experiencing before. So yeah, it, this was probably the weakest thing for me on the show. Darby Allen and Kyle O'Reilly. Very tough spot in the middle of this where the, this crowd has taken a dip, especially following the, that last match. But, man, I thought these guys just killed it for the time that they had. It was ten and a half minutes. Uh, Darby does the – he does the the Nakamura spot with uh, Kazushi Sakuraba where he shoots in and, dude, he gets drilled in the mm-hmm. face with this knee. And his mouth is busted open. He went full – force into this knee yeah. and Kyle just immediately goes for the arm bar and then they're showing the the bloody mouth Darby comes back with a code red and Kyle's just rolling for a Kimura I thought their styles gelled so well together like mm-hmm. and Darby can do this style with, with Kyle very well but it was like Darby was trying his style of match Kyle was trying his submission based and it to me just flowed really well then Darby hits his flipping stunner and he goes for his usual Lope, but his feet hook onto the middle rope and this dude nearly killed himself landing on the floor. This was a frightening fall, but the dude just recovers instantly and then goes for another one on the other side and is caught in a guillotine by O'Reilly upon landing. He goes for Last Supper, getting a two count. Kyle with a brain buster. He goes to an ankle lock and then down to the mat, which then Darby counters into a scorpion death lock, which led to a rope break. Kyle's caught. How, on the how mid- did that one look to you? Um, it was, it was all right. It was all right. I did see a great sharpshooter on this show, um, <laughs> but you know, everyone, everyone tried. Uh, there's a coffin drop as Kyle is draped on the middle rope as they crash to the floor. And then Kyle catches Darby with his arm, uh, gets rolled up. Kyle kicks out big slap fest. And then he takes Darby's necklace and wraps it through his mouth and the unbreakable necklace breaks. <laughs> and then we get three penalty kicks and the bombs away knee drop and Kyle pins Darby in 1035. I thought they really had to try with with this crowd. They had so much still to come after this. And this was a match. If you watch the countdown show, they even had promotional material shot for the trios match. They had nothing for this. So it almost makes me feel like this was a last minute addition to the show. Um, I'm not going to complain, though. I, I thought they had like a really, really good match together. It was just on a show that was just so loaded with with so much. Yeah, you know, if you're going to put a match cold out there, I think these two are perfect candidates for it because, you know, in ring, like it's really a match that at least to the hardcore is probably sells itself just on paper. Now, was that enough, though? You know, on a show that, you know, we're already, what, at the third hour by this point? And was are we going to rank our top five hours of double or nothing? <laughs> I I wouldn't even try. But, you know, it was also a match that I would say uh, suffered from the lack of heat at this point in the show. Um 
And, you know, see, even somebody I would say on the star power level of a Darby Allen couldn't necessarily overcome it for me. Um, and you did have a rare Darby flub in the middle during that, that tope. But I thought for the most part, I, I, I agree with you. I thought technically the content was very spectacular from two of the most, I think, unique styled, uniquely styled guys in the company. I just wish that there was a proper story for it. And I wish, you know, it took place maybe in a setting like a dynamite or another pay-per-view in the future that, you know, um, made it feel a bit more special than today. Thunder Rosa retained the AEW women's title, beating Serena Deeb 16 minutes and 51 seconds. We were getting a late night, everybody. Um, a really nice match between the two. Uh, Deeb uh, hit a diamond dust onto Thunder Rosa and then goes for the Deeb talks, but it's blocked. Deeb then moves to a stretch muffler and Thunder Rosa gets free, smashing Deeb's knee into the mat, um, turning the tables on Serena. And then there's a knee to the spine of Deeb and a Death Valley driver for a two count. Deeb chop blocks the knee of Thunder Rosa and applies a figure four and they end up rolling in the figure four position to the floor. Dragon screw in the ropes by Deeb leads to Deeb talks. Thunder Rosa gets her foot on the rope. The serenity attempt gets blocked into a power bomb. And then a Texas cloverleaf is applied. Another rope break and Thunder Rosa misses a knee into the buckle. And it ends with Thunder Rosa hitting a superplex rolls into the fire thunder driver, uh, which I thought was a really nice ending sequence at the end as Thunder Rosa retains. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking about maybe like the portion of the show where to me there was a, a, a noticeable difference in crowd energy from the first hour and a half or so. I thought these two really overcame it a lot better than I expected. Um, this crowd really loves Thunder Rosa and she came out looking like a big star. Her outfit looked amazing. Looked amazing. It was like a, a, a main event championship level outfit here. The in-ring content I also thought was really strong. Um, it did get to the point where for me, like at this point in the show, the length felt more of a hindrance than, than a positive. And I suppose like looking at it on paper, 60 minutes doesn't even seem that long, but at it this does point, when it you're looking feel. at the remaining three matches that are all getting at least that amount of time too. It got to the point where like, I think the repeated near falls became a bit more exhausting instead of like, you know, building a, a level of excitement. But if I, I feel like if I were to watch this match earlier in the show or on its own or on an episode of Dynamite, I would, I would have a much better kind of feeling about it. Um, but I would say it, it, it was very good, but maybe not necessarily great for me in the body of this show. Well, this crowd, if you, if you want to bring a crowd back to life, you give them the match equivalent of cocaine. That's what this match was. Anarchy in the arena. The mm-hmm. Jericho Appreciation Society come out in matching white outfits, complete with matching Kangol hats. Yeah, I don't know if they were going for boys to men or like a millennium era Backstreet Boys or what, but um, it, it was something. It was certainly uh, entertaining. Yeah, and and then Wild Thing takes over, and <laughs> yeah. out comes John Moxley, Kingston, Santana, Ortiz, and. If you had imagined in 2001 that Brian Danielson would be sleeveless coming through the crowd to wild thing, looking like just the badass that has come to wreak havoc. What a visual this was. And then they put wild thing on loop for the first like couple of minutes of this entire match as they just we thought like maybe there's going to be some pre-produced segments, some comedy I guess in some ways there was some comedy, but this was designed to just be a violent, wild, holy shit fight yep. for 20 minutes. And that's it, what you got here. Exactly as the name suggests. It, it was anarchy. 
um, uncontrollable, wild, hard to capture on camera, sloppy, and it was great. So I'm going to do my best here, okay? Uh, Matt Menard probably needs a blood transfusion by the end of this. I mean, he just bled buckets. It, 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 I think like part of it is so great because sometimes you have no idea why he's bleeding. You just like, you're focused on something else for a long time. And then you cut back to Matt Menard and the dude is just like gushing blood. It started no with, the fork, the, with the fork, with the fork. And it just progressively got worse for the rest of this match. But the the moment of this match that I, it might not have been when you were watching it way, but it will be with context. Did you notice when John Moxley went to put Chris Jericho into a rear naked choke and they got into a a portable scooter? I did. No, I did see that. Yeah. And so this scooter property of one Chris from L.A. You're kidding me. This is Chris's mobility scooter and they used it. Um, can we get some? Uh, insight about this, maybe from the man himself, Chris. Yeah, what's up, y'all? Did 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 uh, yeah, you, did they sign like a waiver or something? I mean, did they just no, go into business for themselves here? No. So, um, it, the, the thing is, is I wasn't going to get a mobility scooter because I was moving around okay the first couple of days. You know, I just had the brain surgery and all that stuff, so, um. I didn't know how I was going to react to going to Vegas. So I had the scooter part. We were like on the, we were like right ringside by everything. Um, and, and, uh, the, uh, the, the scooter was part. And then when we sat on our seat, this, one of the guards was like, um, Hey, um, do you mind if we move your scooter? And, um, cause it was by these tables that they were going to use for the match. And the guy specifically said that the Moxley, that match was probably going to get a little crazy. So um, they moved my scooter. Um, and as a, that was a scooter I rented from the hotel that I almost didn't get, but my girlfriend okay. getting it. Um, and uh, it was parked right there. And they just... And then, like they they did their thing on it, and then like when I at the end of the show, when I got on it, a bunch of nasty ass wrestler sweat. Wow! So this was an unprompted um, scooter uh, jacking. Yeah, yeah, it was. I, I did not know that was coming at all. <laughs> That's amazing, dude. I was just like. Uh, <laughs> And I tweeted uh, TK. I was like, "Hey man, you boys, you know that's that, that's that's the scooter I rented for mobility." You know, Chris. While we've got you for a few minutes here, what what was was the anarchy match like the high point for, yeah. for the crowd? Um, yeah, just uh, and as well like the length of the show. How did the audience uh, feel? Uh, yeah, there the was le- some, length of the show. There were some down parts to the show. Um, they reacted really strong for like uh stoke stokely hathaway and uh-huh. uh athena um the um everybody hated sammy guevara at least in my section he he got booed every time somebody did anything to him uh he was getting booed and his uh, uh ty conti also they just they, no one liked them um the um the, that that um and then the guy in the front row, he's like, "Hey, didn't you come in here on that scooter?" So, uh, like, <laughs> like it was, it was just nuts, man. I just, 
again, I didn't see that coming. And, uh, my, my girlfriend was the first person that told me they were on my scooter, too. She's right there on the bed. And, uh, yeah, she said, I think they're on your scooter. And then everyone's like, oh. <laughs> it's just, it was nuts, man. That's pretty much it. While we have you on the line, Chris, um, how much of the MJF discussion was there prior to the show? And what was the audience reaction to and after that match? Okay, so um, when I got here on um, – when we got here Friday, um, and I was going to go to the AEW um, show that day, but then they were like um, – a few a few of my friends were like, well, the, um, the, the, the fan fest thing. They said it wasn't really that great, and there were some no-shows and all that stuff. And then that's when I start getting wind of MJF. Uh, possible um, no showing the fan fest and then possibly no showing today's show but what kind of made me think he was going to be there because me me and my girlfriend and then my friend um adam from uh true hill heat not adam my friend johnny from true hill heat um we were at the the beer house and they were the dj was playing just a bunch of wrestling music the beer house was right next to the t-mobile center um and they played MJF's song a few different times, you know, more than one. Maybe think that okay, like I, someone might might have tipped this DJ or something to uh, that MJF was going to be there. But yeah, that was the talk of the weekend. Um, and this weekend, because I went to the the first um, Double or Nothing in 2019. Um, and that whole week was like an AEW week. And you really didn't get the feel that this was an AEW week um, until today. Um, it really didn't feel like... I, I remember I met you guys in um, Chicago that one year for... Um, what was it? Um, all in. All in. All in, all in yeah. And um, even that weekend, kind of, it, it seemed like the wrestling event took over the weekend um, in this AEW show, you really didn't get um, the feel that it was um, an AEW weekend until today when everybody came alive. Nobody that I talked to enjoyed um, the fan fest, um, or they didn't outwardly tell me that. Like mo- most mm-hmm. of the people that I talked to said that that you didn't waste, um, you, you you saved your money. It was you didn't need to come to this thing, so. Um, hopefully they could get that taken care of or maybe get StarCast back next year. Um, I don't know what, what Conrad's, you know, he's doing it with SummerSlam this year. So. Uh, before we say goodbye, Chris, what, what was your high point of the show and what grade would you give Double or Nothing from a live perspective? From a live perspective, I, I'll give it an A plus because, um, like, I, I've, uh, I bought an ex-girlfriend to a WWE show. Um, like back in 2009 and we're not dating anymore. So, uh, you know, it was like right after that show. Me about, uh, Oh no. The WWE show is that they're like, listen, we got to talk. <laughs> yeah, what was the show? That, that ended our relationship. Oh it. my. Got, uh, the, uh, my girlfriend now, um, I've been with her for five years. This is the first wrestling show. She, she enjoyed it. Um, she wasn't bored. Um, the highlight of the show for me, was um just uh, when athena came out i probably that was probably like my biggest mark out moment 
Um, and then um, I'm actually supposed to be going to um, all um, Dynamite and Rampage when they come to Vegas this week. Uh, or uh, when they go to LA next week. So right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a great weekend, man. Um, and, um, I really, um, just, um, everybody at the hotel was just very accommodating. Everybody at the, um, T-Mobile center was super cool. Um, I got no, um, complaints, you know? Cool. Awesome. Well, Chris, uh, thanks so much for taking some time just to call in. We want to get your uh, your live event thoughts. I'm sure you will be chatting about this uh, on the next show. Uh, do you want to give a quick plug for anything you've got coming up soon? Um, KM Easy does it. Um, I'm right now in the process. I'm I'm talking to uh, Brandon Thurston about um, writing articles for um, WrestleNomics. So we'll see how that goes. I'm just I'm so like. I'm I'm like knee deep in my dissertation, so like anything else, kind of play second fiddle of that. And follow me on Kate Does It on Twitter, and uh, that's it, man. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, oh, thanks for coming on, Chris, and a, and a great show that uh, you, Nate, and Andrew uh, just did uh, last weekend. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that, man. Awesome. Thank that you very is, much, Chris. Uh, Chris from LA, everybody who uh, inadvertently had a role in Anarchy in the Arena at the T-Mobile arena. Uh, but we'll get back into things. So throughout, I would say the first five minutes, wild thing is playing. And then finally Jericho smashes the soundboard uh, to end it. But you really had the thought that they were just going to keep this thing on loop for the whole match. Uh huh. I love that. I loved it. Listen, if it's good enough for new Jack, it is good enough for this type of match. It was absolutely the perfect. What the fuck type of thing to set the mood off at the beginning. And it just worked really well. I mean, I think it would have went pretty old, um, after maybe the second time, but when it looped that first time, this crowd reacted huge. Okay. It's, it, it went silent and then the, the, the riff plays again and this crowd just went nuts. I think the joke lasted just the right amount of length. And I love the out that they had for it. It was, a, it was a great idea of how to get rid of it. And Jericho just gets booed from, from killing it. Uh, we had coolers of drinks. Uh, we had choke spots. Um, Moxley unscrews the turnbuckle. So we have the, the top rope that has been taken off and he uses it as a weapon on Jericho. We cut to the concourse area. Eddie Kingston is just, has been just bludgeoned. As he's attacking Daniel Garcia, Santana and Ortiz set up a huge ladder and deliver splashes in the crowd to Parker and Menard on tables. Uh, Jericho got a fire extinguisher and sprayed it in Moxley's face. So we got all the white crap from the extinguisher mixed, like caked in with his blood. Um, this man, it looked like he was auditioning like for a Home Alone stunt. This whole match felt like a Home Alone stunt, basically. Yeah. Danielson and Moxley, they drop the elbows on Jericho and Hager and then turn to the label lock and bulldog choke, respectively, when the visual of the night occurs. We cut to the the entrance, and there, staggering, wobbling out from the back, is Eddie Kingston, full of blood with his decrepit New York Yankee shirt, what remains of it, holding a can of gasoline <laughs> with Eddie. the most deranged look on his face. Dude, this is the ultimate meme that will come out of this uh, show. I want to see cosplayers replicate this one image. I need an action figure of Eddie Kingston drenched in blood, carrying a canister of gasoline made by, you know, uh, whatever toy company makes their, their toys. It, it was one of the, the greatest visuals I've seen in professional wrestling. 
Also, and I'm so glad they replayed it during the buy-in, but they did air that promo, Kingston Cut, yes. going into this. That, mm-hmm. my God, should that thing have been on every television show this week. I, and yeah. see, I was glad because watching in real time on the buy-in, there were a bunch of people I'm seeing tweets from that were seeing this for the first time. Oh, yeah. This was not even in the countdown show. It was an mm-hmm. exclusive that they, they probably shot and just didn't have room or I don't know what happened. This I was mean, one of the best promos of the year. I almost get the sense like, you know, at Kingston at some point was inspired and he was like, who's got a camera for me? You know, who, get a camera guy. I'm about to speak because this was not really an element that was at all introduced in the body of the storytelling here this was kingston talking about diving back into alcoholism yeah and and how he had to you know um rekindle like his demons were rekindled as a result of jericho doing all of this stuff to him it was one of the best promos we've heard from eddie trying to drown his demons but they keep swimming oh poetry like listen listen to that so i mean i'm really glad they played it here um I, I I wish it was on like actual actual TV and somehow worked maybe a bit more seamlessly into the 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 the. the fabric I, I, I would have done whatever I could to have aired that on Rampage on Friday. I just right. think like the more people that would have seen that, the uh, the better because it was a terrific promo. He pours gasoline on top of Jericho and Danielson, and Danielson's pissed. He's like, "We're on the same team, and you're dropping gasoline on me." He was also, I think, pissed because how can somebody do this to another human being you know like in the end he likes violence i don't think he likes that type of violence you know burning somebody alive and it also helps because in the, in the countdown special and also in the video beforehand you heard brian say it i actually like jericho more than i like eddie kingston uh i think said, you have to do danielson and kingston and i think this oh only, yeah that this was only sealed it after this i was oh, waiting yeah. for danielson to get up and scream i drive electric i haven't touched gasoline <laughs> in 20 years <laughs> jericho then attacks them with chair shots as danielson and kingston are fighting hager sends moxley off the apron through a barbed wire board on a table one thing and you alluded to this way is a potential problem like I think a ton of stuff was missed in this match because you just couldn't follow all of it. And they did their best to replay some stunts, but I'm sure we missed a bunch in this. Very true. But I think it added to the appeal of just the chaotic nature of this match where directors couldn't follow it. If you're there live, you don't know which way to look. The The, the match is called Anarchy in the Arena. As much as I hate the name, they did live up to it, though. Yeah, it was like a live 23-minute fight scene with 10 actors um yeah. that we you just had to cut to and um the table that moxley is sent through it tipped it, he does not break this table yes. either with the mm-hmm. barbed wire on top of it there's a judas effect to kingston as jericho's wiping off the gasoline and the big spot danielson has like the one last big comeback against hager and jericho where he has all the fire in the world uh without literal fire that this would have been a bad idea if they lit up a fire yes uh with forearms and kicks and then a busaiku nita hager and another one into a chair uh with jericho for a near fall and danielson proclaims i'm gonna kick his fucking head in and hager comes from behind with a bat uh to the knee of danielson jericho plies the walls as hager chokes him with the ring rope until aubrey waves it off at 22 minutes and 41 seconds um this was spectacular. This crowd was on the edge of their seats for all 22 minutes and 41 seconds. Four hours I, into the show, John. Four and the length uh, into this show, um, they deserve even more credit for it. But you had uh, my attention for this entire thing. This was my match of the show. I thought it was a pretty, 
yeah. I, you know, it's it that is not at all a bold statement. Um, I'm gonna have to assess whether or not this was or the main event was, but they are two completely different styles of match. And if you went one way versus another, I would not fault you. For I just it. thought for for crowd engagement and for this being something different for what it was. Like this is operating yep. in a different category than most of the than everything else on this show. Mm-hmm. How could you have performed a better version of what this was set out to be? I thought. Yeah. It, I thought it was tremendous. It was a lovely, wonderful, sloppy, disgusting, violent mess. From the get-go, I think the intent of the match was to create an unpredictable, anything-goes-wild tone. Uh, We've seen plenty of sort of like arena brawls, Falls Count Anywhere matches. They kind of range from being completely, you know, uh, I don't know, cookie-cutter. Like, here, I'm going to hit you with the trash can lid, and you're going to hit me with the trash can lid. Uh, somebody's going to blade, and boom. This was a lot more special than that. You know, we had wondered how they would maybe live up to perhaps the creativity set by the stadium stampede matches. Um, this did not resort to any sort of pre-filmed gimmickry, I, I suppose you could say. Instead, it relied on, I think, creativity directed towards brutality and just you know going through the arena bleeding buckets of blood through through the crowd and just 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 like disastrous results and again i think like you know cutting back and forth um not catching every single thing just to me kind of added to like hey what the hell's going on that type of vibe playing wild thing on loop throughout the first 10 minutes i thought was um wonderful and created a great memory the visual of eddie kingston walking out half dead with that tank of gasoline is a visual I won't soon forget. And in the end, I thought you had some great storytelling element elements with Dan, uh, Brian Danson here, him getting in the way of Kingston burning Jericho alive, building on their uh, promos that, you know, uh, both of them cut prior yeah. to the match and using the knee injury to in the finish here. Um, you know, we had wondered, oh, okay, was Brian just fucking around? They subtly teased it on Rampage that, yeah, you're going to see effects from this kick. And it played into the finish here with Hager beating him with the bat, uh, leading to uh, the half Boston Crab, the half walls of Jericho. It was very well used. This match to me was like, it was like going to a concert. And, you know, you might listen to a band on record and marvel at the technical appeal. <laughs> then the other band kills the sound system and you boo it. <laughs> Maybe that too. But, you know, if, if the sound system was still alive, okay, the music and the singing and the guitar solos may not be album accurate, but the vibe and the energy and the craziness of seeing people live diving off the stage, doing all, all sorts of crazy shit that you would never get by just watching the album, a technically, a tech, and a technical, uh, technically perfect performance makes this that much more worthwhile to me as a live experience. Um, it's the closest I've, I've come to feeling that way about a wrestling match in quite some time. And some of the most fun I've had watching a wrestling match in quite some time. We also got, um, everything came full circle 12 years later, almost exactly to the day, uh, where, Justin Roberts announces the winners after Brian Danielson has been choked out. Uh, there you go. Exactly. The cause yeah, I, of Danielson's firing. And I, I wonder if that was a, a response. I mean, I was expecting Justin Roberts to come in and, and make the save for Brian Danielson. after, Or maybe he would pull the, the chain this time, pull the necktie this time. Then the announcers state, we have something big. And we go to Andrade El Idolo and Jose. Andrade hates the name of the A... The AFO, I think it's called now. AFO at this point. They got the H out. Um, said that the AFO, are they're losers. Hates the name. 
and he has a contract for a new business partner, one of the top wrestlers in the world. And uh, people see a big arm appear, and they're wondering if it's Cesaro, and it opens, and it's Roosh. <laughs> were they were they wondering Cesaro off yeah. of a big arm? I don't know. Uh, Roosh, yeah. yes, he is here. Roosh is here. They do um, the fist bump, and so uh, I, I possibly bring some version of uh, Los Ingobernables into a... Pro- probably going to be the whole family reunion next month. At Forbidden Door. Yeah. I think they absolutely should. Absolutely. I think yeah. it only makes sense uh, that they do this. Um, we'll see. We'll see if uh, like Roosh finds a, a defined role, if this group finds a defined role, because I think they have certainly uh, kind of blend, blended into the background. It sounds like he's done with AFO, judging by it, this. That's what it felt like. It felt like these two were – and th- this would be probably a stronger just two-man unit, but uh, there you yeah. go. The recently married Andrade. That is re- correct. Congratulations. Yeah. The Men of the Year with Dan Lambert, interviewed by Lexi Nair. They're on to bigger and better things. Dante Martin comes in to challenge Scorpio Sky, and the match is going to happen this Wednesday. So after trying to get Scorpio Sky from heel to babyface, back to heel, then a bit of a babyface coming out of this tag match, they put him back as a heel to take on Dante Martin in the one city where he is going to be mega superstar on Wednesday <laughs> with his right. Lakers belt. How how hard is this? I didn't even think of that. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> I give up. I gave up at this point. I'm like, okay, we're going to try and get the fans to boo the Laker belt guy in his hometown. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, who, else, who else shares those colors? Maybe you could say that it's inspired by like, um, oh, God, is there another team that uses that? Um, yellow, yellow and purple. Yellow Gold and purple. purple. Well, Maybe not. He will insult the Lakers. He'll say something about, I don't know. Fuck. Um, I don't watch it. Maybe he'll switch but... multiple times on the show. We'll see. Yeah. Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus against Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland and Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs for the tag titles. Taz has come back four hours later on commentary. I and... totally forgot that this match was still happening until they came out here. Yeah, this was this was maybe the toughest spot on the on the whole show. Uh, but man, they, they worked hard. But man, mm-hmm. you're going 17 minutes when you know you're getting a 20 minute minimum main event. That that's pretty tough. This this late in the show, um, Ricky Starks, th- he was the one that was anointed by this crowd that they wanted to see Ricky Starks uh, win. He is just doing all of his poses that are getting over. Jim Ross says he looks like an idiot doing this. Uh, Swerve scales to the top, holding on to Keith Lee, and then kicks off of his chest to moonsault onto the guys on the floor, uh, which looked spectacular. Luchasaurus is in. We have a big showdown with the Giants, with Lee, Hobbs, and Luchasaurus. And it ends where Keith Lee overheads Hobbs to the floor and hits a Topicon hero. Jim Ross was just in his glory watching, uh, pardon the pun, Keith Lee, and just says, big athletic men draw money. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Luchasaurus lifts and he drops Keith Lee very awkwardly. <laughs> so Jim Ross says, Luchasaurus is getting old, man. <laughs> well, he's a dinosaur. Right? He is 65 yeah. million years old. Uh, Starks tries to use the rope for leverage, but Christian stops him. And Christian got involved several times when Starks tried to use the FTW title. And it was Christian coming to the aid of, of his guys uh, throughout this. There was a slingshot Rochambeau. Onto Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus made the save. 
Uh, Starks nails Lee with the FTW title, but then Hobbs runs into the post. He's on the floor, and it's Christian who yanks Starks to the floor, and Luchasaurus comes in at the end, saving Jungle Boy uh, out of the corner from Swerve and leads to Thoracic Express. 17 minutes and 17 seconds, and surprisingly, I will say, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus retain the tag titles, and they're, they're still dangling it. Christian puts Jungle Boy on his shoulders, and like... I, Honestly, there was almost like no tease in this of Christian turning, but that's embedded in everyone's in everyone's mind that it's coming. The turn is so subtle at this point that I feel like his intent is to get the most jaded wrestling fan who has seen every single iteration of a professional wrestling turn to second guess whether or not they are in fact turning. Um, because maybe we're, we're, we're like overthinking things. Maybe the, the, nothing, nothing, nothing is actually being teased. Uh, because tonight nothing was really teased except unless you wanted to look a bit more into him, you know, putting, uh, Jungle Boy on his shoulders and you know, setting him up for a potential electric, electric teardrop. But, um, yeah, I was too surprised as well because I feel like the Jurassic Express had kind of faded into the background of the tag team division at this point and it felt like it was, you know, maybe time to, to move the belts onto somebody else. But clearly they still, they see a bit more here. Um, I will say, I think, you know, in terms of like productivity, the other two teams gained a whole lot here. Swerve and, and, and Keith Lee looked tremendous as a tag team with a number of tag team combinations, both of them just coming across like a really hot team that I think everybody is going to want to see, you know, chase for those titles and be successful. Same with Starks and Hobbs. Like you mentioned Starks, you know, maybe impressing. For me personally, I thought it was Powerhouse Hobbs who, um, again, like for somebody who I think isn't necessarily showcased the most, like he's really impressed me with how great his cocky demeanor is and how great he is in the mix with like, you know, uh, other very established guys like, like we have in this match. So I, for, for a match that I forgot existed, um, I thought it was very good. I, I think this might've been the hardest position on the whole show. You're coming off of that anarchy match and it's before the main event and you're going 17 minutes. So I, I think you have to give a lot of credit to the six involved here and, and throwing Christian there. Mm-hmm. And they announced for Wednesday at the forum, the undisputed era against Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, Christian, and the Hardys in a big 10-man tag. Uh, so we've got that and Scorpio Sky against Dante Martin announced so far. And that takes us to the main event between Hangman Page and CM Punk. Um, huge Punk chant as Justin Roberts is introducing them. This has a big feel at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. This felt like a big main event going in. And this crowd, like they were here to see this match. We're getting dueling chants. The two go nose to nose at the beginning. And it's Punk with the early advantage. But when Hangman hits a fallaway slam, man, is this guy booed. And he was like playing into the booze. He was encouraging them. And it seemed like whenever one guy got too far ahead, too much of an advantage, the crowd would start booing them to almost uh, reel them back in. Collectively, yeah. Yeah. It's like I mean, you had a split crowd and th- like there were their punk fans and there were the page fans. It felt very 50 50 split, you know. And this was, I think, a match that was maybe designed more for a heel hangman reaction. Um, but this crowd like had equal uh, favor with both men, which is, I think, exactly what you might want for a babyface, babyface match. Yes. Um, Punk is staggering to his feet. And this is pretty early in the match as Hangman is teasing the buckshot lariat. But then Punk just goes like a burst of fire at Page and knocks him off of the apron. And then Punk goes to the floor and he, eat, he takes an apron bomb. 
stops Paige from the Orihara moonsault and hits Paige with a nice superplex and tries for a sharpshooter and GTS. Both are stopped and Paige does land the moonsault, but after landing it to the floor, his left knee buckles and he's favoring it, uh, which would be a big part of the match. The buckshot gets stopped and Punk applies the sharpshooter. Good. It was good, but not premium. I'll say that. Nobody uh, can beat Brett's or Owens. But, but a nice spot is Paige reaches the rope and Punk holds on until he has to break it right at the end. And Punk decides he is going to go to the edge of the apron. And he is setting up for, as Excalibur dubbed it, the Punk Shot Lariat. And he goes for it. He rotates. And the knee buckles. And then he tries for it a second time. And again, his knee buckles. But he finishes it and hits the, hits the lariat. I mean, a blemish. Um, I don't. I don't believe it was intentional. But I will say, I thought first of all, it it gave you, I think, um, an idea of how physically impressive a move like this is. Um, I think everyone appreciates this quite a bit more. And Excalibur even yeah. noted that CM Punky has not perfected this move like yes. Hangman Page has. And to be fair, uh, after that whiff on John Silver. The man has not hit it at all. So it's not like he hit it great and then screwed it up here. He's been 0 for 3 on the buckshot lariat. And it maybe, wasn't that bad again. Uh, you're right. He missed, but he did execute the move. You're right. The, the rotation part was not the issue. This time, it was just planting the feet that yeah. really messed him up. And obviously, it was an integral enough part that he went to it a second time, which I would think for Punk, uh, just with his mindset, like one of the, like that just seems like. You screw it up, you don't go to it right again afterwards. But it felt like it was important enough that he tried it and unfortunately didn't hit it the second time either. You know, I, I could see a wrestler's pride kind of getting in the way there and wanting to do it. Maybe he, him being that confident. He's pulled it off probably a lot of times in practice. I will also say, I thought Paige saved it masterfully the first time around. You know, like it's so quick with it too. He saw Punk trip and he just went right after him, took advantage, and then they reset. And Punk, Punk go, sold the knee for the, the rest side. of it. Like the, the knee was not an issue, which could have been a better explanation, but like he wasn't selling the knee. But right. after this, he did sell the knee after screwing it up. So, I mean, that's the best you can hope for. Like it's it's mm-hmm. a blemish and you, you either run with it or you make it like a, a strong negative on, on the match. And I don't think that was the case. So uh, Punk is also kicking at Paige's knee and he's limping and Punk gets thrown over the timekeeper's table and Paige is totally heelish here, holding up the belt, yelling that it's his title. He'll never have it. And the crowd is booing him. Punk then catches the buckshot, lifts him up onto the shoulders and swings the legs into referee Paul Turner. And the ref goes down. Paige regains his, his footing. He grows to get the belt. And he's conflicted. Do I use the belt to take out Punk? And he ultimately throws the belt away, sets up for another buckshot, but Punk ducks and he lands the GTS and wins the match in 25 minutes and 54 seconds. Punk is in tears. He is celebrating. And this did not air on the pay-per-view, but FTR came out and hoisted him up in the ring. Uh, a la Bret Hart at WrestleMania 10. Punk got his big uh, Bret Hart moment. Um, But that did not make it onto the broadcast. CM Punk is your new AEW champion, the fifth man to hold the title. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was a hell of a match. I thought it really was an excellent title match, worthy of the hype, worthy of its position on the card. Um, I think my only complaint about it was that it took place at the end of a five-hour professional wrestling show, and that might have kind of dampened some of the energy in there. I'll be honest, like I, I feel like at this point, I don't have much to say about like the details of the match because I think I was just... Uh, 
in a bit of a haze, in a bit of a daze, you know, watching so much professional wrestling that I think I was just mainly just absorbing it as like, you know, on a superficial level, was I impressed? Was I impressed by the wrestling here? Was I impressed by the storytelling here? And for me, the answer was yes to both of those things. We have breaking news. Okay. What's that? Tony, Tony Khan at the post-show press conference says he will make no comments about MJF. All right. So okay. He's not talking. Um, okay. There you go. Um, I, I thought it was a really nice main event. Um, the crowd was great. Uh, I thought it was the dynamic they were obviously shooting for, where it was going to be a, a split crowd reaction. And ultimately, I thought this was the outcome to go with. With Punk as champion, you have so many matches uh, to go with with him. And mm. I think ultimately, Page finds his way back there. And this is going to be... I think there's an interesting story to be told with Page too, that he had that moment where he could have blasted him with the belt and his conscience uh, told him not to, and it cost him the championship. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be his thread going forward, like him continuing to maybe flirt with, I guess, turning heel perhaps. Now, how does that play exactly into the promo that he cut on Wednesday? And I, you know, Wednesday's promo was really interesting because there's definitely some divided, um, uh, reaction to it. And, you know, people listen to Rewind and Dynamite know that John and I were on the side that did not like it because it did not explain a whole lot. Uh, or at least, you know, everything that, that Paige was talking about. It seemed like at least from the way that they were continuing to build it, having Tony Schiavone specifically in this show, commenting about him not exactly knowing what what he was talking about i think maybe it was maybe on some level intentionally supposed to be confusing um and maybe something that would reveal itself in the future or maybe they're just kind of playing with the overall you know reception to the promo in either case yeah go ahead i was just gonna say based on the finish and now we can definitively look at it with punk winning the title i think that that's a promo that is meant to be remembered Mm. and that as punk now has this championship This guy is no longer in the position of working towards the title, of getting all the people behind him. Now he's got the championship. And as this guy slowly um, molds AEW in in his vision, and he can at some point turn heel, Paige will be redeemed as like this was the guy who warned us of this. And he is going to be the one to eventually take this title back from Punk. I think this starts the eventual turn uh, of Punk. But you're also talking about, I mean, somebody in Adam Page who was re- about to resort to heel tactics in order to vanquish the enemy. Because he uh, said that is what Punk would do. And this guy's a piece of shit. And but, I'm not didn't, gonna... but Punk didn't do that. We have no indication that Punk was about to cheat at any, any of his matches that he's had. In what, what, no, what, it, what he is saying is that he was going to res- – on, on Wednesday – he was going to tear him apart, but wow. he's saying that is what Punk would do as this, as this asshole. And I'm okay. not going to be that person. He sees that this is a, this is a disingenuous individual. And but, I have seen the real Punk. And, and, and he, he is so righteous in his thinking that he is, you know, uh, the, the, the better than, than CM Punk that he would resort to possibly cheating to beat him. That he didn't, that he ultimately did not resort but to But he was cheating. thinking about it. And Punk, that, that, that was more than what Punk did. Punk didn't think about it at all. I mean, he was doing heelish things in, in the match. Not like with what? a belt shot. Yeah, he, held, he held on to the, the submission right until the I end. I mean, that's not that bad. That's within the rules. Well, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's all, all I'm saying story. is that if, if Punk, you do want a heel turn out of Punk at some point, wouldn't you? Yeah. Would you not? But and not th- 
I think the value of this rematch is when you have a, a clear baby face and a clear heel. And sure. Punk, it, that might be a year from now. That might be six months from now. But I do think that you kind of want to have your champion that can work with baby faces and work with heels. But I think Punk, um, the whole thing is like he wanted to keep this title away from Punk because now this guy, it's the third summer of Punk. And where's this guy going to be at the end of uh, – in, the, in six months from now. I'm just saying it's a promo that I think could make more sense down the road. It might not, and I'll be the first to say that was a ludicrous I feel like there were a lot of Cody Rhodes promos that you could have been explained that way too. You know, Eventually he'll get to um, – Well, it could be. It could be. There were a lot of like Cody-isms in, in that, that promo where sometimes um, they really do overthink things to try and – in the absence of storytelling, it just becomes talking in riddles, which is exactly what CM Punk called it on Wednesday. Your overall thoughts on uh... – Double or nothing. This was too long of a show. Um, I know that they have a stacked roster and they want to pack it in. This was too long of a show. Um, I, I think they need to cut that down because I think that there is a certain burnout that we we experienced in the middle of this show. Um, however, there were still a lot of big matches at the end that all, to me, delivered and overcame that. Um, but but length length was my, my biggest negative on this show. Uh, that said... Was this the longest pay-per-view that they've had? Uh, I can't say for sure, for certain. It might have been, but I, I don't know 100%. Uh, I would certainly recommend, I, I thought the anarchy in the arena was the, the match of the show. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the, the House of Black, uh, the, the trios match, uh, with, with Penta, Phoenix, and Pac. I thought O'Reilly and Darby for the time they had, I really enjoyed that as well. There was some very good wrestling on this show, and there were some others that did not meet the, um, the expectation level as well. It, it, it is a high bar and there was some weak stuff on the, on this show. So I would not say this followed. If you want to go back to all out of last September, which was really brought up as well, you had that amazing cage match, the debuts and then full gear and revolution are to me, two of the best pay-per-views they have ever produced. I don't think I would put this one at, at the level of the last two. I, I would agree that it it was maybe not it's not in contention for like one of the best shows of all time and maybe the other ones were uh and I agree with your highlights as well you know there were a lot of things in on the show that I think were perfect conclusions to stories like Wardlow and MJF no d- despite all the controversy surrounding it I I thought if you weren't aware of all that was that that was going on it it felt like something that just stuck to plan you know and and they stuck the landing I would say very much so um and then in the body you had a lot of good wrestling but good wrestling is not something that this show is often lacking um i would say it was missing maybe that sort of big match of the year candidate um that we'll probably be revisiting unless you want to count you know uh what is it uh, anarchy in in the arena as that thing but in in, in, instead of maybe that one big wrestling match that i think we'll all be talking about it kind of made up for it in terms of quantity and i don't know if that's ever a good thing i agree with you that they could have cut maybe three matches, you know, from this thing to shave off some of the length. But I mean, it's, it's time after time now where we're seeing four plus hour pay-per-views. This is the, the style that Tony Khan seems to prefer. Which for four times, I guess this year, five, I, I can get. But I, I would say like this, this is not something that I, I'll, I'll say I would be looking forward to if it was every month uh, that, that you were getting one of these. Like, right. I think it's it's for, for the few times they do it a year. Um that, that that's fine but it's I, fine but it, like is it attractive i don't i mean maybe we're not the target john because you know we watch a lot of wrestling um maybe to to for them to feel like they're justifying the the dollar amount um they think you know the more the better perhaps i i think it's also it's it's 
it comes down to pacing as well. Like this is one where it's like boom, 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 boom. And I don't know what it is, but like I do have an appreciation for like, especially the UFC pay-per-views that mm. like they're even longer than this. And I, I don't feel it anywhere near this. And may, maybe it's you like can mentally relax in between the fight. It's almost like it's three little cards between the early prelims, the pre- prelims and the main card. And, you know, a fight can end at any point. Whereas, you know, for a lot of these matches, you can kind of earmark in your head, like time-wise, you're, you're not going to get a 30-second finish in, in in a match. Um, mm. Most of them are getting time. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I don't want to like begrudge the the length too much because I still really enjoyed the show mm. overall, and it would not be enough to uh, turn me off of the show. I would still uh, r- recommend the things that we went over. This I don't is, know if you have this to watch like all saying, five hours. This is like saying there was too much food on the menu. You know, like it's you know all what you're getting food. on the on these shows. Like we went yeah. in knowing this was going to be a lengthy show. This was not something that came out of left field. So you kind of know going in that mm-hmm. uh, on a 13 match show, yeah, it's probably not going to be done in three hours. Right. We have talked enough about this. Let's get to your feedback. And this person has been waiting since the beginning. So thank you so much for your patience, Bruce Lord. What did you think of uh, Double or Nothing? Evening, guys. Uh, yeah, wow. Uh, to quote AEW's former competition, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And boy, howdy, did this feel like the former uh, for much of this. Um, more than anything, I mean, there were certainly some high points, I think, in the first half of the show. But it sort of felt like it had difficulty kind of building and sustaining momentum uh, for a good portion of it, you know, apart from like the the emotional highlight of, of, uh, of Martha's speech. It wasn't really until you got the um, uh, Kyle and Darby match. And then those last four matches that I sort of felt, okay, yeah, this is sort of, of a piece of the, uh, you know, the, the, the previous three uh, AEW pay-per-views, which were all, you know, fantastic. Um, and I do think that in those last four matches, you know, Rosa and Deeb, the Anarchy in the Arena, the Tag Titles match, and the World Title match, not only were all four of those really good, but they were very different in style, like really, really different, um, you know, kind of modes and sort of what you were looking for. You know, one very technical, one a complete bonkers brawl, one, you know, kind of a very spot-heavy one, and then this long-term uh, kind of psychological, you know, big match world title uh, world title match there. Um Way to your point at the beginning of the show about how, yeah, it's, it's, it's in all likelihood the MJF match was always going to be booked like this. I do think that there is something kind of poetic and cool about the fact that the logical conclusion to this very long, very well-built story looks exactly the same as what you would have booked on the fly if you were forced to just write someone out of your territory on a moment's notice. And the fact that those things just kind of dovetailed together, I think is only going to continue to add to the allure, the speculation, everybody on Twitter uh, talking about this, you know, and, and obviously, as you guys were saying, uh, until we get more information from MJF about what his game plan is or how all of this shakes out and whether or not we ever see him, uh, you know, in an AEW ring again, it's, it's too early to say, uh, but I will say this, uh, for all of the talk about, you know, burnt bridges, I do think it's kind of poetic that, you know, Jeff Jarrett, the man who infamously held up, uh, Vince for cash on the night of a pay-per-view and then immediately left the company just resigned, uh, with the WWE in a creative capacity, uh, this past weekend. So there's also something kind of fitting about that, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, that was a very unique situation because you had a guy who had the title and his contract expired like the day before a pay-per-view. So, I mean, it was another case where a guy did have, um, you know, a lot of like power on, on his side and uh, and uh, to his defense thought that, listen, I'm I'm owed th- th- this money that I want to make sure I have up front uh, before I leave. But you're right. I mean, that was one where, I mean, it was he was considered... <laughs> That he would never be back, but it's it's Jeff Jarrett, the man of a uh, mm. multiple multiple lives. Yeah, won't ever go away. Um, uh, I think I to the question about like kind of what the highlight is. I think I'm in agreement with you guys. Uh, I'm not really a hardcore or plunder match person generally, but I think the Anarchy in the Arena match uh, was the highlight, and also felt as many people were noting on Twitter more of a callback to a certain like kind of territorial style of, you know, kind of brawl around the arena, the the Memphis concession brawl uh, and things like that. And it also kind of reminded me, I'm not sure if you remember, there was that uh, kind of arena brawl that happened on an episode of Dynamite, I think mm-hmm. back in 2019 with like yep. the inner circle versus Cody and Dustin and smashing the glass and everything like that. So yeah, it never really fell into kind of the goofy slapstick comedic elements that, that a plunder match uh, sort of can, you know, and, and, and by God, that, that image of Kingston is just... Yeah, that's that that that's the lasting image. That's gonna that's got to be the legacy of this show. You know, it's and and that promo at the beginning. My God, it's it's Eddie Kingston's world. We just happen to live in it. So, mm-hmm. thanks as always, Bruce. Thank you so much. Take Bruce. care, guys. Have a good one. Let's go up next to Hanzi. Hanzi, welcome to the show. Oh shit! So I always get confused. Sorry, my bad, man. Um, what the call? No, I was I was gonna say that. Um, I'll get I'll get to like the the, the really important stuff like you know, in a second. But to your point about the whole Jungle Boy and uh, Christian thing, I, I I keep thinking they they keep making us think that Christian's the one that's going to turn heel. But I actually kind of think in some way that it's like if they lose the titles because they they do have the story of Christian keep intercepting Ricky Starks' pins. So and they didn't get pins. So I can see Ricky Starks and Hobbs demanding another shot. And if they lose the titles to them, I could see the Jungle Boy kind of getting fed up and he's the one that actually goes heel. Interesting. Okay. You, you know, you certainly wonder, um, you certainly wonder how jungle boy would perform as a heel, um, at this stage of his career. Maybe it's the kick he kind of needs in order to really flesh out his personality to bring it out so that it's more on the level of a Sammy Guevara or an MJF or something like that. Um, that would be the unconventional take, but yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, for sure. And, 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 and just last, last couple of things, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish with a question, but, um, I gotta say, what's it called? Whether it's like work or shoot, whatever it is, I gotta say that whole MGF thing, like, I agree with you guys that, and I see that this way too, because people always go, oh, fans got screwed. But I, I always look at you're selling an experience in this day and age when, like, you know, you get to like market yourself as someone who is there and people will be asking you questions. You know what I mean? Like, you'll get something out of it, even if you think you got screwed over. But I gotta say, like, this is why I think MJF deserves the money, whatever he's asking for, because I do, we've always waited for like a heel of MJF's nature to come around. Like, we, they tried it with Triple H, Jeff Jarrett, like, you know, like, you know, TNA and all that kind of stuff. And do like, like, this was the most basic match, the opening match, but the environment just sold it and it made it seem like the most important match. Like, I, like, I'm with Pollock that like, the, the the anarchy rules was one of my favorite was, was like probably the, like the match of the night of anarchy in the arena but like yeah. chaos but i got to say that 
The second match was probably MJF and Wardlow, and, and that might be basic, and it wasn't like flashy, but I just thought the story told the hit, the heat you built. It was like super amazing. And if Anarch- if 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 CM Punk says that um um you know uh, his dog collar match is a love letter to professional wrestling, Anarchy Rules is a love letter to Kevin Dunn's c- camera cuts, basically. Like, <laughs> like dude, dude that, that made it completely so much fun. It made it awesome and all that, and. <laughs> Uh, I'll ask you guys this: with, with Hangman and um, Punk, do you guys think that? Because I like the match. I thought like even the botch that added to it. Um, I'm glad that Punk is a champion. I think there's a lot more interesting people you can have a feud with. Uh, that will be amazing. Um, but do you do you guys think that they'll go to Hangman and Punk on like free television like down the line, or you think like they kind of extend that to like maybe like they don't touch until like maybe a year? And you know that Punk kind of like how Pollock was saying that like Punk just keeps showing his heel side. So do you guys go to a rematch right away, or do you guys think that you should, uh, uh, you know, wait for like a couple of like months before that? And I'll leave you guys with that. Thank you. Thank you, Hanzi, as always, for the call. Uh, do you think that they go to the rematch on TV, or, or do they go to a rematch at all between these two in the near future? I mean, I think that could be part of it, that like Punk doesn't grant him an, an immediate rematch. So you're, you're of the mind that they are going to turn Punk heel immediately. I wouldn't do it immediately. I, I would have like a creative way to not get to it uh, immediately. And then it, it sort of becomes why hasn't Paige gotten the, this, this title match yet? Cause I, I don't see what purpose it serves to throw a rematch in where you don't want it. You don't want, you're not taking the title off punk right now. There's all these big matches to do. Um, what, what does this story get served by with a second loss to, to Paige? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which there I, might be a valid reason to do it, but I, I don't have that reason off the top of my head. I think so much of it, yeah, depends on where they're going to go with Hangman Page. You know, do they, they don't do rematches though, like in AEW. So like he would, I think, have to fight his way back to it first. Um, but they did the Adam Cole rematch. And, and that could be your explanation is that Page believes he should get an automatic rematch and Punk could say, I came here in August and look at all the the murderer's row I had to go through. It took me nine months to get a title match. You have to do the same thing I did. And you have that plausible deniability if you want to be uh, a punk supporter or a page supporter. What I'm happy about this, it, it, what I'm happy w- uh, about, with uh, in all of this is that I, I really hope that page is not somebody that just kind of gets left by the wayside because he doesn't have the championship. Um, I think he had a really great run. Uh, a string of very consistent in-ring matches, even though they might not have always felt like the biggest matches on the show. But let's not forget, it's like, you know, he, he had amazing matches with Kenny, with, uh, with Brian Danielson. I know? think if you put these matches up, I think the Lance Archer match, like if you yeah. put up the matches he had, uh, they were tremendous. And I, I do not feel that that's going to be, uh, an issue, uh, with, with Hangman. Like, mm-hmm. I think you will get back to this and I, I would not want to do it uh, immediately. Um, but I, I think there is a long-term story there with, with Paige. Uh, we go to some, uh, a super chat here from Doug Greenwood who sends 10 pounds. Thank you so much. He says, it is my birthday. Happy birthday, Doug Greenwood. He says, UK time and I have a doctor's appointment in a bit, so I can't call in, but thought I would leave an appreciative tip. Good show, but the weakest AEW pay-per-view since last year's Double or Nothing. Chaotic. Would you agree? Um, I, I guess if we're looking at, like, we, we just listed off the, uh, there's only been three after Double or Nothing last year, and I would say this would be below those, those three. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I think all, all, all out last year really gets elevated by the cage match, which was, you know, most people's match of the year and those debuts at, at the end as well. I think if we have looked match by match, um, this, this one might be beyond par. It's, it's missing that, that match of the year, but, 
there were some there were some very good matches on tonight's show, but I I think that's fair. I'm also looking at Double or Nothing, and I mean it was headlined by Stadium Stampede. Uh, we had Kenny Omega versus Orange Cassidy and Pack, sure. Um, Darby and Sting versus Men of the Year, Britt Baker Sheeta, uh, Cody versus a Go Go. Okay, so yeah, I'm looking at the card. Maybe maybe not the most memorable card. So the, the beginning of that card was, was I remember being tremendous, and that was the first time they had like an expanded amount of fans as well, like mm-hmm. not just uh, that they had increased the the amount there. I mean, it, it was a good show. I would put this ahead of last year's Double or Nothing, though. We have a lot of feedback to get to, John, from forum.postwrestling.com. Okay. Uh, we're just going to go uh, right into the morning. Uh, why don't you start us off? Okay. we got a Benjamin who says uh, – and I'm not, not going to read everything because some of you guys have written a lot here. But Benjamin says, great show. Booking around the basketball game seemed like a hindrance. Uh, yeah. That, how much do you think ultimately was made of, of that whole thing? You know? I mean the game was over by the time I think Anarchy in the Arena was starting or early into the match. So, I mean, it was it was. Do you feel like they, they had anything go longer to try to make sure that, you know, the, the main event at least didn't start? I mean, what what, what Khan had said at the, the press conference was that if they weren't going against uh, the game, they probably would have taken like one or two matches off and put them on uh, the buy-in. But I, I don't think they did any kind of um, – uh, adjustments in terms of, you know, it was, there, there was plenty of time by the time the game ended before the main event. And that was, that was their promise was the main event is not going to start until the basketball game is over. And it was over loads of time before the title match started. He says Thunder Rosa versus Serena, Serena Deeb was amazing. I wish AEW would give more time to women to develop their stories because Rose's go-home promo was awesome and Deep's sympathetic heel promo was also great. But the lack of TV time put them in a position of having to win the crowd over more, which they totally did. I agree. Uh, Athena debuting is great, but is she, like any other woman aside from Jade Cargill and Britt Baker, going to get any time to tell stories? The Cargill versus Jade match was really rough. It's an instance where rehearsals might pay off in AEW. Okay, let's go to uh, Mark. I, I'm, I'm sure they get rehearsals, and they get—I mean, they get matches in on dark as well. So maybe, maybe, maybe it's an indication that I mean, rehearsals are just there's no substitute for years and years of experience. Uh, certainly, yeah, I, I think I think you're seeing that um, pl- play itself out. Uh, Mark writes. Uh, Tony legitimately seemed to book against the basketball game. The most exciting stuff was the opening half hour before the game and the final hour after the game with anarchy in the arena, the three-way tag and the main event. Uh, I totally disagree. I mean, two of those, the things during the, the bulk of that show were, were the Owen Hart tournament matches. I, I hardly think those would be throwaway things that, you know, hey, don't wrestle so hard, guys, because we are going up against a basketball game. You yeah, know, I, 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 I think some that. of that was just the way it, it turned out. And I think that, um, you know, you had a crowd that you, you could have argued like they came down at that part, but they they came back for uh, the, the end part. But nonetheless, um, Darby Maybe the crowd Ka- was watching the basketball game on their phones in the arena. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps Darby and Kyle as a dynamite opener would have been a match of the year contender. Unfortunately, it was in no man's land on the show. The show felt very similar to the late, some of the late eighties WrestleMania shows, a card filled with matches upon matches just to get everybody on the show. Some great matches, some good, some just filler interested to see where punk goes with the title reign. Inevitable. I feel he turns heel and becomes what Kingston MJF and hangman all warned people about. Very possible if you're listening to the promos, but I think if you're watching the body of the match, I don't think there was any indication leading you to think that way, but maybe that's by design. 
And, and I think it should be a long-term thing. I don't think you should be going to that uh, immediately. Like you can do uh punk, you know, th- there's this whole period. He's just won the title. Like you have this whole period now where he's your baby face champion and you can slowly move into that, that role. And I think, yeah, hangman should be kind of the, the ultimate kind of conqueror for this guy. But uh, an Eddie Kingston rematch is, is really big. Uh, who knows with MJF, but you've got your Danielsons, your Joes, Omega and punk is a massive match. It's, um, to me, you have no shortage of big title matches that could take you through a long, long period of time, especially when you're booking four to five pay-per-views a year. Feirous from Malaysia says, Double or Nothing was a show of two halves, whereby the second half, Darby versus Kyle Onward, was excellent. It did not feel that long of a show as I had first feared. Anarchy in the Arena was a better match than Stadium Stampede on first viewing. A 9 out of 10. Okay, Brett from uh, Medellin, Colombia. My one question for you guys would be Team Taz takes another loss. At what point does the booking just make them lose all credibility? I really thought it was time for them to get the big win. Uh, so this is Ricky Sarks and Powerhouse Hobbs losing. Um, yeah, I, I guess it was somewhat surprising. That was one match where I could have seen a title change occurring. I wouldn't say uh, kills their credibility. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say so either because the moment that they... I mean, they've lost a lot, yes, even heading up until tonight. But if they had won the belts tonight... I think they would have been completely refreshed and we'd all be talking about them as serious threats, right? So I think we're just that one big win away. Um, and, and they could be saving it. Like they were not the team that took the fall. Um, and mm. you could, you could still get around to like they, they do try outside of the TNT title. They try to make their title switches pretty few and far between so that they have maximum impact and the idea of. Why change the tag titles on a show like this when everything is geared around the big title changing? Um, that, that tag title switch could be more valuable to us in a month from now when we have a big show, like when we, when we go to Detroit at the end of this month or, 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 or some big, uh, TV that we have over the next six weeks. We go to Dr. Alex Patel, who says this is a mixed bag of a show. Some good, great, but some real filler with way too many matches. The main event was good, a little sloppy by Punk at times, but not an epic. However, Wardlow is a huge star coming out of this, so that's a huge plus. Matt from Tennessee, long show, but considering they do four a year, I'm fine with the length considering it's a $50 pay-per-view as far as the quality. Not as good as the recent three pay-per-views, but the result of the main event bumped it to a really good show overall. Only bad match was the TBS title match, which was terrible. Hopefully Statlander takes the title from Jade. Another thing I hope for is that Malachi and Pac have a singles match, and that's the end of the House of Black Death Triangle feud. I'm not complaining about this feud, and I think you could do a bunch of singles matches uh, coming out of this. Like, man, uh... Pack and Buddy Matthews and lots of great combinations. He asks, of these wrestlers, who makes it to Forbidden Door? Kenny Omega? I'd say very unlikely. Will Ospreay? Uh, I would say very likely. Uh, Kenta? Likely. Okada? Likely. Zack Sabre Jr.? Likely. That would be my prediction. Mm-hmm. I would say I would say everyone from Omega you would think has a pretty good shot of being on that show. Do do you, do you know like the like the prognosis of of Omega's injury? Like, is it for sure that he's not going to be recovered in time to you know have a part on the show? Could it just be an appearance? Oh, an appearance. Um, I guess you could do an appearance. I think but his the- first. It's the first time he shows up should be like a really big deal, and I mean, Forbidden Door should be a big deal. Yeah, I, I just yeah. I don't see him wrestling on that show. Just mm-hmm. it just, just sounds like that might be uh, pushing things. Like we're we're talking four weeks from now. You, right. If if he's on a show like this, it should be a massive interpromotional match, and I'd want some like big build uh, for that. But an appearance, yeah. If 
if you're willing to do it, like that might be the show to do it on. Mm. Okay, we go to David Porges, who says it's 7.50 a.m. here where I'm at, so I'll try to keep it short, unlike AEW. The show ran way too long, and we had way too much matches, which could have been much better served on Dynamite or Rampage. If it was up to me, I would cut away the three-way mixed tag, Darby versus Kyle in the TBS title match. The first part of the show outside of the House of Black versus Pentagon, Phoenix, and Pac was kind of middling, and not AEW pay-per-view level that you have come in to expect. Second half starting from the Anarchy Brawl was incredible with a banger of a match one after another. I would have loved the main and main and wish it could have went longer. Okay. Happy punk one. Thank you. Well, Chuck from Melbourne thought, thought it was a great show. I don't normally catch shows live due to work, um, but watched all four hours and 40 minutes. Um, it says the three-way tag was a nice little show stealer, but a mass, but as a massive punk fan, I was so glad to catch his title win live. Anarchy in the arena hopefully has started a new trend of blasting music during the match, added a new element to watching it. 10 out of 10. So, I mean, for Chuck over there, I mean, the show would have started at what, like 10 a.m.? Oh my God. Could you imagine? 10 or 9 a.m., maybe. Um, and then ending like somewhere in the afternoon at like maybe two. That's, 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 that's great. That's perfect. That's almost like, you know, F1 time for us typically. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, you want to move to Australia, John? I'm not ready to move to Australia, but okay. it is enticing after a show like this as we're talking All at right. 3 in the morning. We got a Noah from Vaughn who says, I really enjoyed the show tonight. And aside from a couple matches in the middle of the show, I thought they had more hits than misses over the course of the entire show, capped off by three amazing matches in a row to end it. I'd give it an 8 out of 10 with Punk now champion. Obviously, All Out is quite a ways away, but I'm curious who you guys would like to see Punk uh, who you would like to see face punk for the title on that big show. And, uh, and, you know, before we maybe get into that, does, does it maybe lend any more logic to, you know, Tony Khan deciding to keep all out potentially in, in a Chicago area with punk headlining? I think, I think that would make a lot of sense, um, t- to do. I mean, you are going to Chicago in June and I would think that punk should be on that, that card. I mean, you could like punk and Kenta doesn't sound like the biggest match in the world, but, I mean, it's big enough. It's big enough. That's the question for a sold out show where I would not build that as like the big match. That's not going to be the big main event, um, but it is an interpromotional match. And it's somebody who can lose to punk. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I, I could certainly see all out staying uh, in the, in the Chicago area. And, and listen, if it, if they go to Chicago in June and they go to Chicago Labor Day weekend, Yes, you'll have people upset, and they're going to sell out both shows. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like that's that's the thing. It's like we're not looking like it's not like they're going to a market and they're putting sixty percent capacity in. It's mm-hmm. like there's a lot of financial reasons that they do it, and you have a fan base that is, you know, they they want to see the, the big shows come to other cities when there's so few of the big ones. But I mean, they have really made it like your traveling is around Chicago. They would have done well regardless, but now having CM Punk in the main event with the championship defending it against any number of mega stars that they have uh, on that show. I, I I think, I mean, they they might just, they should just do every show in Chicago basically. And I think they'll be fine. Eric from Cork, Ireland, currently in Las Vegas. I'm not sure how it came across on TV, but Anarchy in the Arena was the best thing I've seen live at a wrestling show. Easy five stars. The main event was great, and despite the lackluster build, felt like a main event in the building. The women's title match was great, and the Wardlow match was pretty much exactly what it needed to be. The two Owen Hart matches were pretty dull live. I really don't rate Adam Cole or Britt Baker. I'm at the airport now, and Hangman is here walking around with a limp. Don't know if he's selling or not. Okay, interesting. Some exclusive uh, reporting there. 
Very interesting. Uh, we got a Brandon from Oshawa who says, it's so weird to me that people actually think that the MJF squash was because of the events of the weekend when this has been telegraphed for weeks. Kudos to them for going through with that. We don't get a lot of squash finishes in big matches, and it was exactly what it needed to be. This felt like a turnaround from the last few weeks where it was hot at the start. This show really picked up in the last 90 minutes or so and finished strong. But wait, if MJF had won, no one would have seen it coming. Remember that argument? Oh, yeah, I know. No one would see it coming. No one would have predicted it. Well, listen, this show... Instead, they did the most predictable thing imaginable. A hundred people out of a hundred would have guessed that outcome, and yet it was it was tremendous the way it was played out. Amazing how that works. Uh, Brian in New Jersey, I've been a big fan of AEW pay-per-views, and that remains the case this month. I thankfully had no issues with Bleacher Report, and my energy for it remained high throughout. I thought the TBS title match was a dud, but everything else I thought was good to great, especially Anarchy in the Arena. Strong main event, though it didn't top previous matches I've seen from Punk and Page separately. Wardlow's position to be a megastar. Wonderful to see Stokely Hathaway join the company. I don't rule out either possible result of the main event, but seeing Punk as the champion is still surprising to me. How do you think this will affect the TV ratings. Hmm. Um, we don't have the NBA schedule as uh, as I'm concerned. That will play a big factor on Wednesday. It's a big show uh, at the Kia Forum, and I think coming off of the pay per view with Punk as champion, uh, if they're not going against the NBA Finals, I think that that should do really well on Wednesday, and we'll see. I mean, certainly the pay per view um, floor has growing a lot since September. And I put a lot of that on, on punk. I would say he has been um, even ahead of Danielson. I think he yep. has been the biggest factor when it, when it comes to uh, pay-per-view buys elevating. And now he is in uh, a prime position as your champion. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, heading into Wednesday, knowing the Turner executives or Warner executives are, are going to be there. Um, they will be trying to put their best foot forward. Um, and, I don't think they have to have. It punk. should be a big show on Wednesday, like a really big show. Yeah, I wouldn't anticipate a CM Punk uh, match. Um, I don't think it needs it, honestly. Like I think having his big speech talking about how big of a deal it is for him to win a championship that to me is as big of a draw as you know uh, any random match he could have on the undercard. And they got to start um, shooting angles for for the pay per view. Oh, for Forbidden Door, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Like okay, you so. have you have four weeks until until that show. I have to think like. We should probably see some sort of uptick in the overall ratings. I mean, not just from the lack of competition from the playoffs, but, you know, with with Punk being that much more of a presence on the shows, I would think. So that'll be interesting to study. It's a good point. We got a Manny from Pacoima. Pacoima. Nailed it. Who says, excellent pay-per-view. Hardys versus Bucks was great. I hope Jeff is okay, as he seemed a bit off. House of Black versus Death Triangle was amazing. The triple tre- threat tag was fantastic. I'm glad to see Rush and Andrade reuniting. Maybe Naito joins them at the Forbidden Door, and we once again see Los Angeles. I think they should absolutely do that. Nay. He says, I can't wait for Dynamite this Wednesday, as I will be there live. And a huge congrats to Sergio Perez. Yes, that is correct. The winner of the Monaco Grand Prix from Team Red Bull. Sergio Chico Perez. Did you Gotta catch see. any of the game or, or, or a race? I only I only saw the first like twenty laps or so. Once it got delayed, it really uh, wreaked havoc with my uh, with my Sunday. So you know the ratings for this. The ratings for this one, I think, will be really interesting to to note as well. Because yeah, as John said, uh, because of a rain delay that was so, somewhat controversial, uh, this race didn't begin for like what felt like an hour. Maybe it was close, somewhere between like forty forty five minutes to an hour late. Yeah. Which, um, I mean, we always talk about how early the West Coast is. Like, in theory, that that you would think would would help it airing a little bit later. 
Yeah, you would think so. You're right. Yeah. But- or, or or it chased people off because it was such a long rain delay that people mm-hmm. like I like I was giving up on it after 45 minutes or so because I, I couldn't stick around to watch. My it. energy was definitely lessened by the time that it began because we had waited so long for it. So, yeah, I wonder. Mm-hmm. Andrew from St. John is the last word of the night. Great show with a high level of quality, even though there were some weird moments. Why does this redemption story for Ruby? So- Why do this redemption story for Ruby, but then have her lose? Why hand two people who lost titles this cycle? The tournament wins. Alas, length and counter programming the basketball game have been discussed. And I just think that you have to focus on what you can control, i.e. making a great pay-per-view. Someone's going to want to watch the replay of. They mostly did that tonight, although there were cuttable matches. Love Stokely and Athena appearing. Love the main event. Sad for Hangman, but it made me happy to see Punk with the belt. And I think they told a good story with Paige's reign from start to end. Eight out of ten. I would say the basketball stuff. I think people were expecting like it was going to be some drastic um you know, juggling. And I would say if you were watching the show, you would have no idea that they, that the basketball game was even a factor here. I think it was just uh, maybe what Andrew is, is suggesting and maybe what some of the previous posters were suggesting is that some of the matches were maybe told to go longer than they typically would. Perhaps. I don't know. Um, again, this was a long show, but I feel like I, I, I feel I feel if you had asked me on Friday, I think I would have come up with like the the run times of these matches and been pretty close to what they were. Like Bucks and Hardys going twenty minutes was kind of what I expected that that match was going to get. How about the uh, quantity of matches? Do you think oh, like, quantity of matches? Yeah. Um, I mean, but potentially, like I, I think everything was on this card, and then Kyle and Darby found its way onto it as well. I'll, I'll be the first to say, like, I thought it was too long of a show. So, yeah. um, and you're that, not the only one judging by our feedback. I, I think that's one of the main consistent complaints about the show. Uh, but that is going to wrap it up at 3:02 a.m. Eastern. Uh, we are going to be back Monday night with Rewind to Raw. Uh, so tune into that. No news show on Monday, uh, but the daily news show will resume Tuesdays or Tuesday at, at one Eastern way. Thank you as always uh, for joining me, all the callers, all the feedback, all the members of the post wrestling cafe schedule will be out tomorrow. We've got rewind away on Tuesday night, a packed week coming up. And then next week we're doing it all again with hell in a cell. Oh, I thought, yes. Hell in a cell. That's right. Yeah. Um, which will not, not be five hours. Um, I don't think so. No. Yeah. Based on this card, it might not even be two hours. All right, that's it for us. Thanks for watching the Double or Nothing post show. Goodbye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.